Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Stonlow. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, August 6th. Oh man, I uh, got a haircut. And I'll be very honest, um, I move in like 15 days, 14, 15, something like that. Um, man, it, there's so much on my plate right now. Trying to prepare for my own football season as a player, you know, studying the playbook, getting my footwork right, throwing the ball, uh, working out every day. Um, it's a, it just, I feel like a little bit overwhelmed recently with like, I got to move. I got to move my crap. That's crazy to me. Um, but I am very excited. We have a great show today. And we're also on track. Before I leave for break, we are on track to get out a couple film analysis videos and an NFL predictions show. Very excited. But today's show is is not that. Today's show is a lot of news, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about Ezekiel Elliott. We're going to talk about the first episode of Hard Knocks that just happened. Uh, we'll talk about the Major League Baseball trade deadline. A lot more football down the road. We're also going to preview, and I guess not preview, we're going to, what's the word, premiere? What, I don't know how to say it. I'm, I'm too common of an English person. I can't even talk normally. I can't believe I do a podcast. I can't even speak English. Um, we're going to do the new segment, Ask Zach. It's going to come out today. I'm very excited. I'm going to answer your guys' questions through Patreon. I am so excited. And we're going to end the show with an interview uh, with a guy named Trevor Lobb. Uh, Trevor and I have been uh, friends. We, we were coworkers a long time ago. And he made national headlines last week. I saw him, tracked him down. We did an interview. Uh, all I'm going to say to tease that is to say that Trevor Lobb snuck into a bunch of Warriors games. And he's got an interesting story. I'll share that in a phone interview at the very end of the show after Ask Zach. It's going to be a wonderful episode, guys. Strap in. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I want to start today, though, with the Miami Dolphins. So um, there are actually two teams I want to talk about in this segment. We'll talk about the Dolphins and the Redskins. But first, I want to kind of set the stage and explain the situation for the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins have two quarterbacks right now. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's 36 years old. He will be 37 in November. Uh, he's been in the NFL for 14 years. He's been on seven different teams. He is an NFL veteran. He's been around the league for a long time. That's one quarterback. The other quarterback that the Dolphins have is Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen is entering his second season in the NFL uh, he's got an interesting past. You know, last year he was drafted 10th overall by the Arizona Cardinals and he struggled. His team was bad. He, you know, people were questioning whether or not he was any good. I did a film analysis of him. I broke down his play. I thought, you know, he's good. He's got mistakes. They're all fixable. But the Cardinals got a new head coach and they traded Josh Rosen to the Dolphins. So now the belief in Miami is that, hmm, we believe Josh Rosen is our quarterback of the future. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I keep reading articles. Uh, there are a lot of articles and reports that are chronicling the Dolphins quarterback battle right now. And they're saying things like, in a discouraged tone, man, Josh Rosen is still behind Ryan Fitzpatrick in the quarterback battle. And it's like, there's this tone of like, people keep when wondering, when is Josh Rosen going to pass Ryan Fitzpatrick and beat him out? And I, I just... I don't understand everybody's lack of patience. Everybody seems like they're in such a hurry for Josh Rosen to become the starting quarterback in Miami. I don't understand it. Again, I did a film analysis of both quarterbacks. Josh Rosen had a lot to learn last year. He struggled. He's got, he's got a ways to go before he's really a top-level franchise quarterback. 
Now, he had a terrible offensive line, and he had, I think, poor coaching on the offensive side of the ball. But there were still a lot of times for Josh Rosen last year where he was, you know, he was late on throws. He was slow at reading defenses. But all of Josh Rosen's issues as a quarterback, they're fixable. Go watch my video. But I just, you know, the Dolphins need to allow time for their young quarterback to develop. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, on the other hand, this veteran quarterback, did a film analysis of him as well. He can play. He's, you know, I think the line was he's either the best backup in the NFL or he's one of the, you know, lower end starters. He can play. He's not a terrible quarterback. Now, the fatal flaw for Ryan Fitzpatrick is that he loves to throw the ball up to his wide receivers. He trusts his receivers a lot, and him throwing the ball up for grabs often leads to interceptions. But beside that, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a savvy veteran. He's not terrible. And I think the Dolphins are lucky to have him. The Dolphins should be grateful. Hmm. If you're a Dolphins fan, go, yeah, I'm glad we have a veteran quarterback who can win some games and isn't terrible. He's not great, but he's good enough for now. I just, again, this is the point I want to keep restating. I don't understand the big hurry for Josh Rosen to be the starter in Miami. Don't rush it. Ryan Fitzpatrick is good for now. You know, it, it reminds me of a lot of people. I'm, I'm 22 years old. And a lot of people at, in my age group are like in this giant hurry to get married. I know friends that are, have been married and divorced already. They got married at 18. By the time they're 22, they're, you know, they're divorced. And people are 18 to 22. You know, they're 20. They're like, we got to hurry. Let's get married as soon as possible. And I've just never, ever understood that mindset. Mindset. I just, I don't get it. I'll be very candid. I, I have a girlfriend. I love her very much. I, my intention is to marry her. I've, I've been with her. Uh, she's been in my life for a long, long time. But I'm in no hurry. I, I am in no hurry to get married. Because I would rather wait a, a few years and wait until the time is right. I'd rather do it the right way than rush it early on and be not ready and have a, be a mess. I don't understand. I want to graduate college before I get married. I want to... I hope to have stable income before I get married. I hope to be a couple years older, a couple years wiser. The years up ahead, are, I'm going to go through some all kinds of stuff, and that's going to make me grow as a person. There is no rush for me to get married, and I don't understand when people that are young, 18 to 22, are in such a hurry to get married. You know, logically, if you think about it this way, if you plan to be together forever, forever doesn't end. So why not wait a couple? If forever is your plans forever anyways... Why not wait till you're 25, till you have your life settled, instead of rushing a marriage at 20? It's the same exact thing with these young quarterbacks. If you're planning to be with Josh Rosen for a long time, that's your long-term plan at quarterback. Why are you rushing to start Josh Rosen before he's ready? I just do not understand it. It goes for Josh Rosen. This also goes for Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins. Dwayne Haskins should not start week one. Josh Rosen should not start week one. I do not understand the hurry. So the Washington Redskins are a little bit different than the Dolphins. They have three quarterbacks. <laughs> three! Case Keenum is an established veteran quarterback. He's won before in the NFL. He's not an incredible talent. But again, he's a solid, probably lower-end starting quarterback in the NFL. He won before last two years ago. Case Keenum took the my uh, Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game. He can win. He's not a terrible quarterback. Now, the other quarterback on their roster is Colt McCoy. I admit 
Colt McCoy is not a great NFL quarterback, but he's a longtime backup. He's a savvy veteran, a solid veteran, that there's some merit there. The third quarterback on the Redskins roster is Dwayne Haskins. He's 22 years old. He's from Ohio State. He's two months younger than I am. And I, I just, there is no rush. I believe in him. I believe in Josh Rosen. I believe in Dwayne Haskins. I think both of them are going to develop into very dependable starting franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. I do. I believe in both. I did film analysis of both. I think they have both potential to develop if they're given the right situation and the right amount of patience. But the very worst thing you could do if you're the Dolphins or the Redskins is put them out too early before they're ready. Why don't you just wait? Wait until they are clearly the best quarterback on your roster. Don't force it. Don't push it. And I, I think that's what both teams are doing, by the way. But I want the media, the, the fan bases of these teams to understand there is no hurry. There, just let it take the time it needs. Wouldn't you rather do it right than rush it before it's ready? I, I, that's the mindset I have with this, and I just don't understand trying to push it any sooner. Why don't you wait till it's very obvious and clear Josh Rosen is far better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why don't you wait until it's obvious and Dwayne Haskins is the clear better between Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins? Why don't you just wait until they're obviously beaten out? And by the way, one more thing. Both Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins will be better next year in 2020. This season of 2019 is their first year with a new team. Haskins is a rookie. I consider this really Josh Rosen's rookie year. Last year kind of almost doesn't matter. It's like he, it, it's, he's really resetting everything. By this time next year, both quarterbacks, Haskins and Rosen, will be established with their teams. There will be no quarterback battle in camp. And let me tell you, that makes a huge difference. You know, my junior year of high school, I was competing for a, the starting spot. I won the starting job eventually, but it was a battle all through camp. Going into my senior year, the next year, I had a whole offseason as the guy. I had confidence of the people around me. I had confidence in myself. I had more reps. It matters. So ne- you know, next offseason, my belief is that Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins will be the established quarterbacks on their team. Having that whole offseason without a competition, getting more reps, they're more confident in themselves. The people around them are more confident in them. 2020 is the year you should raise your expectations for both Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins. Before then, you're just being unrealistic, and it's silly. Let it take the time it needs. Let them learn, grow, develop, and eventually establish themselves as quarterbacks. I just do not, I cannot understand the hurry. I don't get it at all. People are in such a hurry to force these two quarterbacks into positions before they're ready. I just, man, I'm, I'm begging you. I think the teams understand this. But the fan bases, Dolphins fans, Redskins fans, take a deep breath. <sighs> oh, oh, wow. Wow, we don't need them to play right away because we'd rather wait and do it right. Don't rush a marriage at 18 years old. Wait till your life is established a little more and do it the right way. That's my philosophy. I think there is no hurry for Dwayne Haskins to get become the starting quarterback anytime soon. I almost said married. Uh, I mean, he can get married. I don't really care. His personal life is his personal life. But let's wait till they're fully ready before we make them starting NFL quarterbacks. I just do not understand the rush. Okay. Huh. You know, and, and by the way, if you're married and 18, I wish you the very best. I, I, 
mean nothing. No offense. I've just seen far too many times people my age get married really young and it goes really bad very quickly. I know a girl right now who got married to a guy who she knew for six months and she's miserable. She hates him. It's like, <laughs> why didn't you? Oh, whatever. It's not my problem. Thank God. <laughs> Try to pass. I don't know. I just, man, take your time, please. Please. I'm asking you. Um, okay, I've been watching this Netflix series called QB1 Beyond the Lights. Uh, I actually started with season two. Kind of weird. Uh, and then I eventually got to season one. So I've watched all season two. I just finished season one. And um, the show follows the nation's top quarterbacks documentary style as they play their senior seasons before going off to college. I mean, these are guys like, you know, Tate Martell, who's at Miami, you know, Rayal Mitchell, who's at Iowa State, Justin Fields at Ohio State, Jake Frum from Georgia. And uh, when I watch all these quarterbacks and their whole, all their journeys, um, Jake Fromm stood out to me. From or from? I'm going to say from. He stood out to me. And by the way, when you pronounce Jake Fromm's last name, no matter what I say, someone gets mad at me. Either I'm wrong for saying from or I'm wrong for saying from. I'm going to say from. That's what I'm comfortable with. If it bothers you, I'm really sorry. Click away from the video. But I, I, I really like this guy. I really, really like his attitude. Uh, he's just different from all the quarterbacks. All these quarterbacks, you know, Tate Martell, Real Mitchell, they're all just like looking ahead of their senior years to college. They view their senior years as like an annoying obstacle to get through rather than something to overcome. Guys are worried about getting hurt. They're literally always talking about how it's going to be better in college, college this, college that. And like they're just trying to get through their senior year. And Jake Fromm was different. You know, he just had this attitude I was so drawn to. He was more motivated. He wanted to win a state championship. And while all the other quarterbacks seemed to be coasting and trying to just survive their senior year, Jake's head was in a different place. It was really cool. Um, and I really admired and respected his attitude. He was present in the moment and had this just poise and comfortable determination. I really liked. And, and I just, I have not really paid a lot of attention to Jake from as a, an NFL prospect. Admittedly, my fault. You know, I should have looked at his success in college and probably been paid attention sooner. Um, but I looked at the traits he showed in this TV show. And I was like, man, that is what you want from an NFL quarterback. I really, really liked it. Uh, he has a cool cat. You know, before a game at a media event, there's this big defensive end on the other team who's talking smack right in Jake Fromm's face. And he's talking about how he's like, I'm going to sack you, Jake. He's talking about he's going to sack him. And it's, it's somewhat lighthearted, but it's still kind of an imposing figure. This big dude who's a five-star linebacker talking about he's going to sack you a bunch in your game. And Jake wasn't faced, just totally even keel, did it, not, even, not even like in a cocky way, just unbothered. And I was like, man. And in fact, during the game, you know, the guy does actually sack him in their game. And he goes, dadgummit, you suck. Like he just, he just has this like, ah, you ruined my plans the same way you would be mad at a mosquito for landing on you when you're in the hot tub. Like he just was like, ah, get out of here. Like didn't even care. And I, I just was so impressed with the level-headed nature of Jake. Uh, he's just calm. He's confident. He's not cocky. He's so comfortable in his own skin. And I understand, you know, this is all from my portrayal on a TV show. I get it. It's a documentary-style TV show. I think it's really how he is. But again, I, I do acknowledge that, that does seem to actually be how he is because Tate Martell was not presented that way. 
Royale Mitchell was not presented that way. Tyvon Bowers was not presented that way. I, I think Jake Fromm is a different kind of quarterback with a different kind of thing inside his head. And I just, man, it seems like he's just a, a, a level-headed guy. I mean, look at his moments in big football games. He's delivered. He has. He played really great. And look at it, just his career at Georgia in general. At Georgia, Jake Fromm has held off two really talented and I think more physically talented quarterbacks than himself. Jacob Eason had a bigger arm than Jake Fromm. Jacob Eason transferred to Washington because Jake Fromm beat him out. Justin Fields had to transfer to Ohio State because Jake Fromm beat him out, even though Justin Fields is a far better athlete than Jake Fromm. And to me, that says this guy has... He doesn't need to be the most physically gifted quarterback to be the best guy in the room. Whatever he's got going on mentally, his work ethic, his leadership, all of it, I, I just, even through the TV screen, I was gravitated to Jake Fromm, and I was like, man, I just, I have never given him enough attention before, and I was wrong. I was wrong to not give him more of a look as an NFL quarterback. I don't, I'm going to go watch, do a film review of him next week. We'll see if he can actually play. I think he can, just from what I've seen a little bit. Um... But he doesn't have the strongest arm. But again, what he has mentally, this poised, confident, you know, totally comfortable in his own skin vibe. Um, I believe those are really important traits that an NFL quarterback should have. And Jake, you know, has my attention more than he ever has before. And, and I'm excited to watch him this year and see if he really does um, deliver and turn into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL draft next year or in the next couple of years. Maybe he waits you know, two more years before he goes. But I just, again, I, I cannot overstate enough. I was so impressed with the person that Jake Fromm is and the way he carries himself. Uh, I, I learned a lot, you know, really about myself and about how I want to be. I want to emulate that because he's just this, this comfortable in his own skin. I just was so impressed and I wanted to share that with everybody listening to the show. Huh. Okay, we have two more topics before we take a break. We're going to talk about uh, the NCAA. We'll talk about the Packers. But I do want to, this is a segment I do every single episode it's really, really important to me. Um, if you are struggling, please go get help. Uh, three years ago, a younger brother took his own life, and it was miserable. His name was Zane, um, and we were really close. I mean, like brothers are. We were really close to play football together. And when I look back on his death, there are two things that really stand out to me and two things and two failures maybe in that situation that make me very sad. Uh, the first one is something I did not do enough of is I didn't make it clear enough to my brother how much I loved him and that I was there for him if he was struggling. I didn't say, you know, I said, I never, I, I should have done a better job saying, Hey man, the door is open. If you're having a hard time, I'm here for you. And, and my biggest regret is that I didn't make it clear that I would have been there for him if he'd been willing to share his struggles. And so I encourage you, if you're out there, please make sure the people in your life know how much you love them and that you're there for them if they're struggling. They can come talk to you. if They're having a hard time. Cause I, in my past, didn't do a good enough job doing that. And my brother never felt comfortable coming to me with his problems. And that's the second failure, right? Is that my younger brother took his life and didn't tell anybody he was having a hard time. It breaks my heart. It, it, it sucks, man. And I was miserable and mad at him for years. And so now this topic is inspired by him. And I just want to share that. You know, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. I have to share that. Um, but even just, man, if you're out there and you're having a hard time, please reach out to somebody in your life. Talk to them. My, my brother, again, no one had any idea he was having a hard time and took his life. And, and that's just miserable and sad. And I, and I really want to encourage 
If you're out there and you're struggling, please go get help. Please, if you're struggling, go get help. Seek professional help from a psychiatrist if you need to. That's, that's what I really recommend. Your friends are great. A professional can help you far better than your friends can. And then, man, make sure the people in your life that you care about know how much you love them and that you're there for them if they are struggling. Guys, that's, um, if you're struggling, go get help. I just want to, I, I drive the message home every single episode, and it's very, very important to me. Okay, we have two more topics before we will take a break. And uh, I feel good. I, I really, um, it's probably weird to say that right after the last topic I just talked about. Um, I got a haircut. I have a beard, kind of. It's like, I like my facial hair. And my voice feels really good. You know, I've been, I've been off dairy for a long time now. And the farther away from dairy I get, the better my voice feels. And the clearer my throat is. I had a really bad throat issue a while ago and I could barely talk. And I learned I was, oh, I'm lactose intolerant. Oh my gosh. Now, uh, admittedly since then, I have been dairied a couple times and that sucks. And dairied, it means like, you know, I eat dairy by accident. It's in a crust or I just some stupid. One time I had a cookie and I was like, oh yeah, can't have cookies anymore. I was heartbroken. Um, but man, I do feel good. So <laughs> I want to now talk about the NCAA. So uh, the NCAA, the NCAA wants to make transferring more difficult. So this offseason in college football, a bunch of college quarterbacks transferred schools. Uh, most notably was Justin Fields transferring from Georgia to Ohio State. And as a result, Tate Martell transferring from Ohio State to the University of Miami. And both of them were deemed immediately eligible, which means they were immediately able to play this year. Oh, you can play right away. And... Uh, I don't know if it was a direct result because of those two people transferring, but because of all the transfers we had and all the news, this guy transferred, that guy transferred, people transferring all over the place. Clearly coaches complained. Nick Saban had a quote about it. Coaches have said for years they don't like when their players transfer. And it's sometimes it's losing their own guys. Sometimes it's people in the ACC going, oh, we have to play Tate Martell now? Or you know, maybe it's John Harbaugh going, crap, I have to play Justin Fields now at Ohio State? That sucks. I don't like transferring. And so for whatever reason, for all kinds of reasons, coaches have complained about transferring players. And the NCAA has responded saying, we want to make it a point to make it more difficult for players to transfer. So traditionally, when you transfer in college, unless you have already graduated, so there's such a thing as a graduate transfer. If you have your degree, you're free to go wherever you want. But if you transfer before you have your degree, in order to play immediately, you must be given an eligibility waiver, which says, oh, okay, well, we will pass it up. You can play immediately. And the NCAA does not like how easy it has become for players to get eligibility waivers. They are now cracking down saying, it's going to be harder moving forward for you to get an eligibility waiver. Uh, most recently, the NCAA denied TCU quarterback Matthew Baldwin, an eligibility waiver when he transferred away from Ohio State. So we are left with now two things, reality and my opinion. <laughs> uh, so my opinion is that transferring should not be limited. I, I don't understand it. Um, student athletes are not paid. I think that's, I've said that before. I, 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 I don't want to get into pay the players, but I think sometimes transferring is what's best for an athlete and a student. Um, and they shouldn't be punished for transferring. I, I just don't understand. I think maybe at least, what if we, here's a compromise. What if we gave every student athlete one free transfer? You're allowed to transfer 
with no penalty. One time. I like that. I think that's a fair compromise. I like that idea. But the other thing, you know, is these are students, right? I, I, you know, the argument is made so many times by the NCAA. By the way, if you ask me about the NCAA, I like the NCAA for me. What they do is I, I'm a Division three football player. I get to play football. I am happy. I, I pay for my school. I'm not on scholarship. And you know what? They give me a governing body that allows me to play other football teams and play games. That's great. I like that. But for the Division One athletes, um, it's weird. You know, they're talked about as often commodities, and they're the, the NCAA refers to constantly as to them as they're talked about as these are student athletes. That's why they should not be paid. But then I want to point out if they're students, right? If they're just regular students, regular students can transfer as much as they want without penalty. I transferred once out of Washington State because it was a bad fit for me academically. I didn't like it. And I left. And guess what? When I left schools, I've been to four different colleges. This is, I'm now at my fourth college. I've transferred a lot of my life. Had a weird, my brother died, it was a mess, whatever. But I, I do want to acknowledge, I transferred a lot, and there was no punishment for that. No one ever said, oh, you can't do this or that because you're transferring. Students are allowed to transfer as much as they want. But as soon as you become a student athlete at a Division I level, transferring is suddenly way harder. And I just want to acknowledge, again, these kids are students, young men, young women. These people are students. And sometimes a school is just simply not a good fit for you. And you got to move. You got to leave. And I I think it's funny to me that coaches are allowed to move freely to wherever part of the country they want. And yet players can't. And coaches are paid. Players are not. It's just weird to me. But let's forget my opinion for a minute. I probably distracted from the fact that, you know, the reality is that the NCAA is cracking down. This is the reality of the situation. The NCAA is now making it harder for players to transfer. So as a result, high school kids now do, now need to be more careful and wiser when they are deciding what college they're going to. That is the reality of the situation. You'd better figure out your priorities. High school seniors, high school juniors, kids picking a college. Figure out what things are most important to you. Is it playing time? Is it academics? Is it being close to home? You want to be in driving distance of your family? Maybe you want coaches that are good people. That's a real thing. I'm very blessed and very grateful. I'm not blessed. I'm fortunate. I chose a school that had good people and good coaches running that place. But it's rare to have it all. And you'd better figure out what priorities are most important to you on that list. You know, Justin Fields, at one point, when Justin Fields, the quarterback now at Ohio State, chose Georgia initially, he went to Georgia. He went all the way to Georgia, had to transfer. When he chose Georgia at the time, they had two five-star quarterbacks, Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm. And when he did that, I said, you're, what are you doing? Like, are you, I, I, I think... You're a really talented quarterback, maybe one of the best in your class. I think he was like the number two rated quarterback in the nation. But he chose a school where he had very little chance to actually get onto the field. And I I was like, it's a weird, bad decision. That's a kid who's 18 making a bad decision, if you ask me. Because he had no chance to play. Now, I know a guy, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but I know a friend of mine who plays quarterback who recently chose a Mountain West school over a Pac-12 school. And you would think, well, why would you choose a smaller Division I school over 
a big Pac-12 school with more money and more prestige. But the, the kid knew his priorities. The kid said, hmm, I want a chance to play as soon as possible. I like this coaching staff. They're better guys. I, this is a better fit for me. And I, and I really was proud of that decision. Like, man, what a cool kid to understand where the priorities lay and how he wants a chance to play and he wants to be around good people. That's great. And so when I, I just want to please beg college, you know, high school kids out there. If you're 18 years old, 17 years old, you're looking around at colleges trying to figure out where to go. Please do not pick a school just because it's got big Division I prestige. In fact, now I'll, I'll take it back. If that's what you want, if you want to go to Oregon and never play and have incredible jerseys and you don't care about playing time, dude, great. That's your number one priority is prestige and to go to a cool school and have fun. Awesome. But I really hope people figure out what's important to them. Is it, again, is it playing time? Do you want to be a starter as soon as possible? Are you not going to want to sit behind three you know, upperclassmen that are going to beat you out for the next couple of years? Do you want to go to school that's a great academic fit for you? Again, maybe you want to be a part of a good culture where you're going to learn life lessons and be around good people, even if that means you don't play. But figure out what your priorities are. Because high school kids need to now start making better decisions when they leave high school and go to college because colleges are cracking down on the ability for you to transfer. The NCAA is saying, we're going to make it much harder for you to have transfer waivers. You better pick it right the first time because you're going to have to sit out a year if you want to transfer otherwise. Say, nah, we're not cool with transferring as much. We're going to crack down on it. That is the new reality of being a college athlete. (sighs) <sighs> okay, one more topic before we go to break. Uh, it's very brief. The Green Bay Packers just finished two days of joint practices with the Houston Texans. And if you don't know, um, a joint practice is when two NFL teams practice and scrimmage each other for a couple days. And Aaron Rodgers said he does not like joint practices. Um, and here, here is why he said he doesn't like them said, one, we risk injuries, right? It's more hyped up. It's a different environment. You're not as nervous about injuring a guy who's not on your own team. But the other thing is that you're playing against vanilla offenses and vanilla defenses. There are vanilla schemes in a joint practice. It's kind of a waste of time because nobody's trying to give away what they're doing. It's kind of pointless. And this makes sense, right? If, if you don't want to run your best offensive plays because you don't want to show other teams what they are, and the defense says, well, we're not going to give away our best defensive plays. Everybody's playing very bland, boring schemes to not give up anything. And then you're not really getting better because you're not practicing your best. And you're not really, it's just, it's kind of a waste of time. And that's what Aaron Rodgers said. And I just want to be very clear. I agree with him. Nobody gets better when you are playing vanilla schemes, not really trying your best to get better. And when you're playing against guys where there's a higher chance of getting hurt, I think joint practice is actually... Aaron Rodgers' argument makes sense. I'm with them. I think they're kind of a, a silly... I, I get why people do them. It's You want a competitive environment, yada, yada. But for Aaron Rodgers, he sees it as kind of a waste of time. And I really understand Aaron Rodgers' perspective and where he's coming from. And actually, if anyone out there can come up with a different, a better argument against it, you know, if you can find a counter to my argument, I want to hear that. I'm really curious. But Aaron Rodgers' argument makes sense to say, guys, you know, higher chance of getting hurt, and vanilla schemes are a waste of time. If you can come up with a reason that counters that, I want to hear it because I, I can't think of it. Now, in a similar vein, Packers coach Matt LaFleur 
now has shorter practices than what the Packers have had in the past. In the past, with their former coach, Mike McCarthy, the Packers have practiced for like, I think the first practice with pads on last year was two hours and 41 minutes. Matt LaFleur is going around an hour 55. An hour 50, sometimes he as always an hour and a half. So really, there's about a 45-minute to 30-minute difference in how long the practices are this year versus last year with a new head coach for the Packers. The Packers have shortened down their practices. Uh, they're meeting more. They have more meeting time because football is mostly mental and really you want to just make sure you're in the right spot. But also, you know, the kind of attitude in Green Bay right now is let's have a really good hour and a half of practice. Let's not slog along an extra hour. That's kind of a waste of time where guys are tired and not getting their best reps out. That makes sense to me. The other, the other thing is this, and I get, you know, football is a hard sport you want to push through. But at a certain point, it's not helpful anymore, and it's just a waste of time. He'd rather have more efficient, let's get more done in an hour and a half, than go two and a half hours and have the last hour not be as valuable. Let's do a really crisp, high-effort, intense hour and a half and be done. The other thing is this. A shorter practice is easier on your guys' bodies. I'm all for that. I love that. Here's a quote from Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. He said this. He said, I don't think a half an hour is going to matter come the season. But if you lose a guy, it certainly does impact things. What he's saying is we can cut down practices, keep guys healthier, because we don't want to get hurt. And injuries will have a bigger impact on our year than that half an hour would at practice. That makes total sense to me. I like it. I really like really the entire direction the Packers are going. Um, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers said, I'm not a big fan of joint practices. That makes sense to me. I don't know if I probably won't do them again as long as Aaron Rodgers is there. We will see what happens or not. He certainly made his, you know, opinion on them clear. And Matt LaFleur is really cutting back and kind of got this philosophy that less is more at practice. And I tend to agree. I think sometimes it's better to do a, a shorter amount with a higher percentage of quality than quantity just for the sake of getting a bunch of crap in. So I really like the direction the Packers are headed, and uh, we will talk about them later in the show. Um, tune in to Ask Zach when you hear more about the Green Bay Packers. Okay, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Ezekiel Elliott. We will talk about Hard Knocks Episode 1. We're going to discuss the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and we're going to end the show after another break with Ask Zach. And an interview with Trevor Lobb. A lot of good stuff is coming up ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to now revisit a topic that I've talked about before. But it's just been heavily weighing on my mind. And I got to revisit it. So that is Ezekiel Elliott. If you don't know, Ezekiel Elliott, the Dallas Cowboys running back, is holding out. He's choosing not to practice or play until he gets a new contract. And it's such a complicated situation. I just, there are so many arguments to be made for either side. Um, and really it's come down to whether or not, you know, should the Dallas Cowboys give Ezekiel Elliott a new contract or should they not? And it's obviously in the best interest of the player to get paid, to get more money. But there are some reasons why it's in the best interest of the Cowboys to not pay him. And you're kind of at a standstill, like, now what? Where do we go from here? And so first I want to talk about, from Ezekiel Elliott's perspective, you know, you can argue that Ezekiel Elliott should be paid 
because he's one of the best running backs in the entire NFL. He can run through arm tackles. He's really shifty in open space. He can make guys miss. He can pass block. He can catch passes. He contributes to the Dallas Cowboys offense in so many ways. And the stats support the claim that he's one of the best running backs in the entire NFL. In my opinion, it's him or Saquon, right? Him or Saquon Barkley, they're like the top two, and then there's a bunch of others right around there. But if you look at in the last three years, Ezekiel Elliott in the last three years has led the NFL in rushing two of the last three seasons. In 2016, he led the NFL in rushing with 1,631 yards. And that year, in his rookie year, 2015, 2016, excuse me, he also led the NFL in rushing attempts with 322. And he was the only guy with over 300 rushing attempts. That means he was getting hit a ton in 2016, his rookie year. Now, in 2017, he was 10th in rushing, uh, but that's because he only played 10 games. He missed the first six because of a suspension. But in spite of that, he actually still led the NFL in yards per game with over 98 yards per game. And the assumption is that if Ezekiel Elliott had played the entire 2017 season, he would, in fact, have led the NFL in rushing. Now, in 2018, last year, he led the NFL in rushing again. It almost would have been a third year in a row. He had 1,434 yards, 304 rushing attempts, which again made him the only person with over 300 rushing attempts in the entire NFL. So, man, I, I look at you know, Ezekiel Elliott and go, man, this guy's getting used a bunch. He's taking a bunch of hits. And he's also contributing a lot to the Cowboys offense. He had 77 catches last year in 2018. He's a big part of their offense. So you could argue, uh, to me, again, it's either, to me, I think the two best running backs in the NFL are Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, I think if you were, like, building a franchise now, you might take Saquon Barkley because he's a little bit younger, taking a few less hits. But, man, they're, they are neck and neck. And you can, again, if he's either the best or one of the best running backs in the league. Ezekiel Elliott is. But he's not paid like he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott is not paid market value. So Todd Gurley, the Rams running back, is making over $14 million a year. The Jets running back, Le'Veon Bell, is making over $13 million a year. And Ezekiel Elliott's average salary is just over six. So again, he's performing at the top of all NFL running backs. Ezekiel Elliott is. But he is not at all getting paid like it. He's not getting paid a market value. Additionally, he also only has two years left on his contract. You know, there is not a long-term deal in place to take care of Ezekiel Elliott. And I understand why a running back would want long-term guarantees financially. Running back is the hardest run. I think running back and offensive line are the two hardest positions on your body in football. Running backs get beat to crap. They get beat up a ton. So I do not blame him that he wants a new contract. I understand his perspective when he says, man, I want more money. I want to be paid. But if, what if you're the Cowboys? Should the Cowboys pay him? Does it make sense for them? You know, first of all, teams, a, a lot of people have weighed in and said they're concerned about the guys off the field issues, right? In 2017, Zeke was suspended six games for domestic violence. That's not cool, dude. That is unacceptable. 
He's also been in trouble again this offseason. He's had some kind of incident with a bouncer at a nightclub. There's also a rumor that he got he crashed into a car and it was covered up. A lot of people feel like they cannot trust Zeke. And that, you know, I'm kind of I, I I understand that perspective as well. And others even say that it's really disrespectful for Ezekiel Elliott to be holding out and not joining the Dallas Cowboys at practice. If you look at the past of what's happened with Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, stuck his neck out to help him when the guy got in trouble. Zeke has been bailed out multiple times. And even if not bailed out, he's had the support of his owner in the past. His owner is stuck, stuck by the guy and helped him. And some view Zeke holding out as a gigantic middle finger to one of his biggest supporters throughout his years in the NFL. And so it makes sense to me why people are hesitant to trust him. And you know Zeke is somewhat of a headache. And you can really argue that, man, holding out is another example of a guy causing more trouble. So we, what we've established is that Ezekiel Elliott has been kind of a a pain in the butt off the field, but he's also not paid market value. He's not paid like one of the best running backs in the NFL. But here is the biggest complication to me in this entire thing. It comes down to money, the Cowboys salary cap. As you may know, there's only so much money to go around. There's not unlimited money to spend paying players on your team. And according to OverTheCap.com's salary cap calculator, the Cowboys will have around 745 million dollars of salary cap room in 2020 next year. So next offseason, the Cowboys will have 74.74.5 million dollars to spend paying their players and signing guys. It's a big problem because a lot of the Cowboys starters are going to become free agents next year. Number 1, their quarterback Dak Prescott He's making $2 million this year in 2019. That's absurd. It's ridiculous. Uh, according to market value, he is massively underpaid. And I think when he does get paid, Dak Prescott's going to get paid around $30 million a year. Gonna land him, it's going to land him just above guys like, you know, and he should get paid more than guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins makes around 28. Jimmy Garoppolo makes around 27 and a half. I think Dak Prescott can ask for more than those two guys, and it makes complete sense to me. He's won more and been more successful and had more starts than Jimmy Garoppolo easily. In fact, I think it would be a, it would be kind of a criminal offense if it would certainly be a slap in the face if the Dallas Cowboys didn't want to pay Dak Prescott more than Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy Garoppolo's done very little and has a gigantic contract. So one, you know, the Cowboys got to pay their quarterback. But they have a bunch of other guys they're going to have to pay this offseason too. You know, Amari Cooper, their wide receiver, who makes, he's making $13.9 million in 2019. He's going to become a free agent. Corner Byron Jones, who makes $6.2 million this year. He's going to become a free agent. Other guys are going to become free agents. Defensive end Robert Quinn, $8 million in 2019. Right tackle, Al Collins will be a free agent after this year. He's making $7.5 million this year. Linebacker Jalen Smith will be a free agent. He makes $1.3 million in 2019. I am sure he's going to want to raise. Not to mention wide receiver Randall Cobb, 
will be a free agent at the end of this year. He makes $5 million a year. Now, my best guess is that the Cowboys are not going to re-sign Randall Cobb. You know, they signed him this offseason to a one-year deal, knowing that they'd probably have him for a short amount of time. He agreed to the deal because he wasn't getting any big long-term contracts. He's coming off a year with a lot of injuries. And so, you know, Randall Cobb is looking at the Cowboys as a stepping stone where he can come play really well and get a better contract somewhere else. And the Cowboys are looking at it as, sure, we'll be used by Randall Cobb. We'll take your service cheaper than normal for one year. So you can have a one-year contract, get out of here, and get more money somewhere else. So, again, the Cowboys, I do not believe, are planning to re-sign Randall Cobb. But let's do the math. First, you're going to have to pay Dak Prescott. That's $30 million a year. Then Amari Cooper wants to be paid. And you know, let's just say we give Amari Cooper $15 million. We, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm not even affiliated with the Cowboys at all. But let's just say the Cowboys give him $15 million a year. And that's actually below market value for wide receiver now that uh, that guy for – what's his name? With the, uh, that $100 million deal was signed by the Saints wide receiver. So, But let's just assume the Cowboys can get away with paying Amari Cooper $15 million a year. 30 plus 15 is $45 million a year out of the 74 and a half they're going to have to spend. Then you got to pay Byron Jones. Market value for Byron Jones is around $12 million a year. Let's say you pay him $10 million a year. Give him a long-term contract, high bonuses, or high, uh, high guarantees. And that's a conservative estimate, by the way. But now we're at $55 million. You paid Dak Prescott, Byron Jones, and Amari Cooper. Then you pay Robert Quinn the $8 million he made last year. He's making this year. So pay Robert Quinn $8 million. Pay Lyle Collins $8 million. 55 plus 16 $71 million. And you still got more guys to pay. You got to play Jalen Smith. Pay, you know, paying Jalen Smith, a really talented, growing linebacker, you say you pay him $4.5 million a year. Now you're at $75.5 million. And you have no salary cap. You're over the cap. You can't even pay that much money to all your guys. And you don't have any money to spend paying your backups, guys who are on minimum salaries, because they're guys who need to fill out the rest of your roster. The Cowboys don't have enough money to go around to pay all their guys the value they're going to require and command. So my best guess is that, you know, the Cowboys are not going to resign, you know, uh, Randall Cobb. They're going to let him walk. And I think you're also going to let Robert Quinn go. Robert Quinn is 29. He'll be 30 next year. Um, he's a, a good defensive end. I think they're going to let him walk away because they have uh, Demarcus Lawrence. But you can't resign everybody. You can't resign Dak Prescott, Byron Jones, Amari Cooper, Lael Collins, Jalen Smith, and also give Ezekiel Elliott a new contract. You can't keep everybody you're gonna have to pick and choose hmm who do the cowboys want moving forward if they re-sign ezekiel elliott there's not going to be enough money to go around so the cowboys will be presented with a difficult situation and a difficult decision do you re-sign your running back or do you keep some of your other young core players it's a really tough decision. So one option for the Cowboys moving forward is they could trade Ezekiel Elliott, and that would solve actually a lot of their problems. Um, I, I said once, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to renege something I said. I said something silly. I once said that only an idiot would trade Ezekiel Elliott. I think that was a bit harsh. Um, and I, what I said was, I said that on principle, right? There's a couple running backs in the NFL that are just top of the line. Guys like Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, Le'Veon Bell, 
Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley. These are guys who are at the top of their game. And on principle, I said, these are guys you pay. They're special. You want them on your team. I said, you pay those guys at the very top, those top couple running backs that are special. And then everybody else is just a guy. Most running backs are interchangeable. But the top couple guys are guys you pay. And I still have that belief. However, I cannot fail to acknowledge that trading Ezekiel Elliott would solve a lot of the problems that the Cowboys are facing financially coming up. It would clear a lot of cap space. Because not only would the Cowboys have you know, $74.5 million available of salary cap space, they would also have an additional $9 million. Because next year, they're supposed to pay Ezekiel Elliott $9 million. So if they cleared away that space as well by trading him now, they would have a lot more. They would have, what, $83.5 million available in salary cap space in 2020 next offseason. So trading away Ezekiel Elliott would hurt, but it would allow you to keep a lot of those players and build for your future by signing other guys. And I really think the Cowboys could trade Zeke for a first-round pick. A team like, I don't know, a team with a young quarterback like the Bills or uh, the Dolphins might trade for him. So you'll save money for the Cowboys if you trade Zeke away. You might get a first-round draft pick, and you'd build for your future by signing a lot of your other young budding stars. So when you look at the financial situation for the Dallas Cowboys, suddenly trading Zeke away makes a lot more sense. Not to mention, he's been a headache off the field. But there's also been a ton of reports, you know, with the Cowboys that their their fourth round running back, Tony Pollard, guy from Memphis, has been playing really well, turning a lot of heads at running back. And so it looks like it's possible the Cowboys could be okay with Ezekiel Elliott gone. The Cowboys have a good running, a good offensive line. That Tony Pollard is fine; he's suitable. Maybe he's a, an interchangeable running back, but interchangeable is still interchangeable. A lot of guys can run through big holes and get a couple of yards if the offensive line's really, really good. So the Cowboys could get rid of Zeke, right? The Cowboys could trade away Ezekiel Elliott. And they could also just wait. The Cowboys could just wait and see if Zeke comes back. Although there are reports now that Zeke has doubled down and will not come back until he has a new contract. So that's one option. One option is trade Zeke away. It solves a lot of your problems. It allows you to keep other guys like uh, Byron Jones, Amari Cooper, Jalen Smith, Lyle Collins, Dak Pre- all those guys. You can pay all of them if you don't pay Ezekiel Elliott. Because Ezekiel Elliott's going to ask for like $15, $16 million a year. He's going to say, I'm the best running back. I want to get paid more than Todd Gurley. Pay me $15 million a year. That's how much if you're going to pay Ezekiel Elliott is looking like. So another option for the Cowboys is that it's possible that the Dallas Cowboys see this season as their year. So one option is trade Zeke away, build for your future. The other option is this. If you're the Dallas Cowboys and you evaluate your team, you go, okay, we have Dak Prescott, who's entering his fourth year as our Cowboys quarterback. Usually in year four or five is when quarterbacks make a big jump. Guys like Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Big Ben, all these quarterbacks made a big jump in their fourth or their fifth year. It looks like Dak Prescott could make that big jump now with new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. They also have a really stout defense. Look at the Cowboys defense right now. They have Demarcus Lawrence, Robert Quinn, Leighton Vanderesh, Sean Lee, Jadobia Woozy, Byron Jones, Jalen Smith. The, the names go on and on. 
this Cowboys defense could be really special. And it is very possible if the Cowboys think this is the year they have a chance to win a Super Bowl, they might just throw caution to the wind and give Ezekiel Elliott the deal he wants to get him on the field as soon as possible. They might just say, screw the future. We don't care about, you know, our future. We're going to take all our chips on the, we're going to put all our chips on the table right now, go for broke and try to win a Super Bowl this year. That makes sense to me because it's also true. You know, they could survive without Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard maybe is good enough. I don't know. But they, you know, you can get away without having a top of the line running back if you have a really good offensive line, which they do. But it is undeniable that the Cowboys have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl if Zeke is on their roster. So there are two options right now that make the most sense to me if you're a cow- the Cowboys. Two options you have and two things you can do. You can't wait because he's not going to come back. Until you give him a new contract, it sounds like Zeke is just not going to come back. And by the way, my opinion is that that's stupid. If Zeke doesn't come back and just play and make money, you're an idiot because that's money you'll never get back. We saw Le'Veon Bell last year give up millions of dollars because he just never came and never played. Don't waste a chance to make a lot of money. That's silly to me. But because we're going to assume that Ezekiel Elliott's not going to come back, the Cowboys have two options. One is trade away Ezekiel Elliott for like a first-round pick. You can sign all your guys, and you can build for the future if you're the Cowboys. The other option the Cowboys have is sign him now and go for a Super Bowl. Screw the future. If you think this is your year and you're the Dallas Cowboys, give him a contract and go try to win a Super Bowl. This issue, man, has been so tough. I know that my, you know, my channel name is Strong Opinion Sports. The name of this show is Strong Opinion Sports. I found it really tough to have a strong opinion on this one because I was like, I, I, I'm stumped. Like both options seem pretty good. And so my question now is, what would you guys do? I know a lot of passionate Cowboys fans are watching. I'm sure they've already commented their you know, paragraph long opinion about why I'm wrong, why they hate me or something. But you know, I am curious, what do people think is the right option here? What would you do? Is there something I'm missing? Maybe I'm overlooking something. I look at the situation as kind of a stalemate. I don't know how to move forward. And I'm curious to see what people would do if they were the Dallas Cowboys. Would you trade him? Build for the future? Would you re-sign him and go for a Super Bowl this year? Is the Super Bowl worth it for your future? I think so. I mean, give up your future. If you can win a Super Bowl now, do it. Pull the trigger, make it happen. So, I don't know. What would you do if you were the Dallas Cowboys? I'd love to hear it. Okay, I'm going to drink some water. Then we're going to transition. We have one, two, three more topics, then a short break, then water, and then we'll do Ask Zach. Wow, we're already – so my recording has gone long. Oh, I cannot believe how long that topic went about CQ Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys. My only regret with that topic is I probably said the guy's name – way too many times. I'm sorry. I just, that's how I do it. I I hate, you know, one time, first of all, I have a habit of saying their name. I like being clear who I'm talking about. I don't want to confuse people. But also, I remember there were times when I was a kid growing up listening to sports radio and I was like, this is all great, but who are you talking about? Who the heck, like people would just blabber on about this guy's this and that and they'd never say his name and I'm like, who are you talking about? So I, I, if nothing else, I hope that people always know exactly 
who I'm talking about. Now, I mean, it's a little different when you're watching on YouTube and the video is titled Ezekiel Elliott, blah, blah, blah. But if you're listening to a podcast, I want people to always know. If it's audio only, they know exactly who I'm talking about because I say his name a lot. So I just, you know, it's, it's a weird, we're in a weird territory because this isn't quite a radio show. It's an audio podcast, but there's also video breakouts that go on YouTube and people get really mad at those. Oh my gosh. So I don't know. I do it my way. I'm happy. I'm, I'm very happy. Okay, um, let's now talk about HBO's Hard Knocks. So, Hard Knocks on HBO Episode 1 just happened. Uh, And in case anybody doesn't know what that is, Hard Knocks is a TV show that follows one team's NFL training camp documentary style. It's a great show. It's really well produced. Uh, Liev Schreiber is the amazing narrator. He does a great job. He's the guy from Ray Donovan, the lead character. His voice is really different. When he narrates for Hard Knocks. Um, but I have a bunch of thoughts about episode one. I want to share them now. My first thought is that, man, John Gruden. I, I wrote this down. I was like, John Gruden's just made for this moment. The show opens with all the players on a knee looking up at John Gruden. And he's giving them some speech. And it's just like, you got John Gruden's voice. The music is swelling. Just incredible. I, I just, man, there are so many sound bites throughout the entire episode. I'm like, man, John Gruden mic'd up it's just an incredible great experience my second thought is that you know episode one had amazing music there were a couple moments i was like and this is always what you see with hard knocks and hbo hbo pays top dollar they do a great job in production but um there was a scene i actually rewinded it to watch it again so the show ended and i was like i gotta go back and watch that again it was so cool it's you know the black and yellow violin version which is cut together with a montage of Antonio Brown highlights. And it's just like the coolest. It's like Antonio Brown running in slow motion, this heavy violin playing. I'm like, oh, man, this is like I, I could watch this every day. It just pumps me up. It's so cool. Um, and, and I loved it. Another cool part of the, you know, the music was this moment where John Abram and Cleveland Farrell were they rode horses to Old Town Road. And I just I wrote down I was like, man, Lil Nas X, Old Town Road will always just be a jam that I love. I, I just, this song is like, and they kind of, they mixed it different ways and just worked so well. And it was really funny, Jonathan Abram and his beautiful, his beautiful English. <laughs> he goes, make sure you, and not, and what I mean is, I'm, I don't think he understands editing and what you call in background music. He goes, make sure y'all play Old Town Road as the back song. <laughs> and I just, Jonathan Abram, man, is just a, a character. I don't know. I, he's either that annoying guy you hate on your team or they, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. The guy has no filter. It's so funny to watch, you know, um, you know, first of all, he's hitting guys while they're in jerseys, you know, showing, you know, in those moments, you know, it's a, it's a walkthrough for the Raiders and Jonathan Abram is hitting people a bunch when it's like, dude, you're not supposed to hit right now. This is just a mental period. Try to get in the right spot. Don't hit anybody. It's ridiculous. He's like throwing guys to the side. And uh, I can't wait. You know, what I hope for for episode two is that when the pads go on, we get a shot of Jonathan Abram just getting rocked. Because, like, I would be mad. If I'm in pa- if I'm not in pads, if we're at a walkthrough and a guy's, like, throwing people to the ground, I'd be like, okay, can we not right now? Can we, like, slow down? I, I would want revenge if I was like, the guy who got thrown. But, again, the guy has no filter. Jonathan Abrams is so, like, it's like he picks the most uncomfortable topic he can talk about. And just goes for it. He leans all the way in. So like they're at dinner with Derek Carr. 
and he's talking about Derek Carr's money, and he's like, I'm going to spend, he's like, you're buying dinner, I'm going to spend a bunch of your money, like, I'd feel weird, I'm not going to say that, and then he, he meets G-Eazy, and he talks about G-Eazy's race, it's like, you just, you seem like you pick the topics that are the most controversial, like, right off the bat, um, I just, man, I, I, I love how Jonathan Abrams has no concern, he just goes for it, it just, I, I love the way, it's funny to watch him interact on camera. Now, uh, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's injured. We saw that on Hard Knocks episode one. We also knew that from a bunch of reports I've been reading. But I have no idea what to make of this Antonio Brown injury. It just kind of stinks. I hope he heals. I've been really excited to watch Antonio Brown play for the Raiders. And if he's hurt, ooh, I don't know what to make of that. I don't. Um, now, it is really funny. There are moments where I don't know how to put words to Antonio Brown because like there's there's a moment where he he rides a hot air balloon into training camp, and it's like does he realize that he's just the most stereotypical wide receiver there possibly could be, and like is it intentional? Does he know that? And I, and I don't know that he's really like flaunting his money flamboyantly. I think it's like a dude who just loves his life and doesn't really care what it looks like. Like I don't know if first of all, if anybody deserves to ride in style, it's Antonio Brown. The guy's worked incredibly hard. He's been incredibly successful. He's earned the right to do whatever the heck he wants. But it seems like he's just enjoying his money. It doesn't seem like he's, like, flaunting it in everybody's face. He's like, I wear fur coats because, like, when I was a kid, I wanted fur coats. And I ride cool hot air balloons because, like, when I was a kid, I was like, man, if I can be rich and ride a hot – like, it seems like a guy who's having fun spending his money more than Antonio Brown seems like a guy who's rubbing it in everybody's face. That's my kind of – this is how the energy and the vibe Antonio Brown gives off to me. The other thing is, you know, I just had this thought watching Antonio Brown. First of all, I've followed him on social media for so long. Like, I watch all of his Instagram stories. He works so incredibly hard. Like, every day the message he puts out is, I'm training, I'm working, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. A lot of people in the NFL, like, I'm an athlete, myself included. Like, I take days off. I go hiking. I go hang out with my girlfriend. I go to the lake. I do this. Antonio Brown, every single day is working on something. It's like, man, that's so cool. He, he clearly has earned everything he's had. And he, I just had this thought. I wrote it down while I was watching Hard Knocks. On the field, forget the personality, forget all the off-the-field stuff, but on the field itself, Antonio Brown is so similar to me, to, Jer- to Jerry Rice. I just, the way that, you know, Jerry Rice was never the biggest or the strongest. He just worked harder than everybody. And that's exactly the same vibe I've always gotten from Antonio Brown and why I really respect Antonio Brown. Tom Brady was not the biggest or the strongest. He worked the hardest. Antonio Brown is not the biggest or the strongest wide receiver. He might have become the fastest by working hard, but he's gotten faster and developed his speed, and he clearly does a lot of speed training. Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the NFL because he works his butt off and seems to work harder than everybody else in spite of the fact he has physical limitations that guys like Julio Jones do not. Really cool to watch. Now, one other thought I had, uh, first of all, actually, a bunch of thoughts I had. I have a lot left. Um, Ronald Ali, the defensive tackle from Last Chance You got cut right off the bat. And I, I was surprised how quickly that story arc came and went. Um, and I just thought, good for the Raiders. Ronald Ali was a guy who never really had a lot of self-motivation on the TV show Last Chance You on Netflix. And the Raiders were like, we're not going to tolerate your BS. You're done. You're out of here. And I, I really like the message that it sent 
Because I was wondering, like, how much are the Raiders going to play up to the cameras? And I thought maybe Ronald Ali was going to stick around for a little while. Because, like, ah, it's a good story. We'll give something for fans to like. No, not at all. Not, we're done. We're professional. You're not. You're done. You're out. I was like, oh, wow. I mean, too bad for Ronald Ali. But, like, I respect the Raiders for just cutting the crap and saying, no BS. We're not tolerating that. Now, uh, this is controversial. I'm going to warn you. Uh, controversial warning. <laughs> What I'm about to say is going to make people mad. I am sorry. It's just my thought. I wrote it down. Maybe I shouldn't share all my thoughts. They made a longtime villain, Richie Incognito, look like not a terrible guy. I mean, the way they kind of showed him was like they made Richie Incognito, who is like a horrible past, said horrible stuff. They just The reports and narratives and the ways Richie Incognito has gotten in trouble in the past are like horrifying. You're like, oh, he did that? He said that? What? 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 And then you look, and you're like, it seems like this big, goofy idiot. Like, I, I just, they, they really, like, made Richie Incognito look like a normal dude. I was, like, I was just like, wow, I've never seen Richie Incognito in such a good light before. This, I was like, wow, huh. I wonder, I mean, maybe it kind of makes sense. I could see how, you know, his mouth and his jokes and the way he carries himself could get him in trouble. I don't know. It's, it's a different side of Richie Incognito, a side I've never seen before, aside from reports of horrible stuff he's said and done to his former teammates. They made it sound like he's really good. They made it sound like he can play, I guess. I don't know. Now, uh, my other thought, I was watching watching Hard Knocks, and Derek Carr's – I play quarterback. Derek Carr's warming up. I want that dude's pants. I mean, also, I want that dude's biceps. I, I wish I had big biceps. I don't. But Derek Carr, the pants he was wearing, I was like, man, those joggers are, like, sick. They're like, I don't know. how I have a pair like that, and they do not – they don't work like that. I, just, I was like, those are really cool. I want to get those for practice. Um, now, in the end, my final thought with all of this is that uh, well, first of all, the Raiders are kind of a weird, quirky organization. They have this, you know, once a Raider, always a Raider. They have like an alumni dinner that doesn't happen in the NFL. And John Gruden is very, very happy. I mean, he has a 10-year contract with the Raiders. He's not on the hot seat at all. He's totally comfortable. I think John Gruden's going to be there for years. I think Mark Davis is going to let him do whatever he does and just kind of take his time. But in the end, you know, the episode just kind of ended, like, suddenly ended. I was like, oh, that's it. And, and you know, weirdly enough, I could have watched for like another hour. I was, I was engaged. I was interested. But also at the same time, I realized as the show ended, I was like, that was an hour. Nothing really actually happened. I, I felt like it was just all set up. And I'm curious to see how the show progresses throughout the season. Like, I hope episode two more stuff happens. Because I was like, we got introduced to Ronald Ollie. He got cut. We met a lot of people. And I just, I, I don't know. Like, I just walked away, like, going, like, oh. For some reason, I felt just a bit unsatisfied by episode one of Hard Knocks. I don't know if that's because, like, there was no, I guess there was no resolution, right? Like, there was this dinner, and they're like, it felt like we were building to something, and then nothing happened. And I was like, oh. And maybe that's the genius of John Gruden. I wrote this down, too. Is like, there's been all this rumor and speculation that John Gruden would use Hard Knocks to kind of manipulate the... The, the view of the Raiders and make them look really good, all this kind of stuff. And I mean, maybe John Gruden's just a master of the media and knows how to like show his team completely open and still not give away anything. Like, cause there was really no real, I mean, Ronald Ali got cut. That's not really drama. That's interesting. I mean, I guess kind of interesting you like last chance you, but even like the Antonio Brown injury, we got no insight into that. And like with the Browns last year, it was so clear. The Browns were a train wreck and a mess. Even episode one, <laughs> And, and with the Raiders this year, it's like, we just got no information. I was like, oh, everything seems kind of fine. 
kind of boring. So I don't know. That that those are all my thoughts from episode one of Hard Knocks. I'm excited for episode two next week. I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm really curious, but it just was very. It, it just nothing really happened. I just was like, wow. I I walked away going like that was an hour. It went so quick. I feel like nothing happened. So we'll see how episode two changes things and how what happens in episode two. But those are my thoughts from episode one of Hard Knocks. All right, uh, let's now shift gears to baseball. Um, the New York Mets did something a little bit unusual at the MLB trade deadline. Uh, they traded for pitcher Marcus Stroman. And there was a lot of pushback because the Mets are not big contenders right now in baseball. They're, you know, they gave up two prospects. People are like, oh, shouldn't give away two guys like that. Now, to me, I thought they got you know substance over potential. I really like trading for Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman is an A minus to B plus starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. But again, it was at a weird time because the Mets were not in playoff contention at the time of the trade. Again, teams usually make big trades at the trade deadline, add a starting pitcher or a player or a big starter because they're trying to make a playoff push and get to the World Series. They're trying to make their team a little bit better to get to the World Series. Now, it's funny to me because at the time of the trade deadline, the New York Mets were 11 and a half games back in the NL East. So they had no chance to win their division. And the only chance for the Mets to make the playoffs was if they won the wild card. And at the time of the trade deadline, they were six games back in the wild card. They, they were, it was hopeless. They weren't going to make the playoffs at all. So after the trade, you know, the next question was, okay, are the Mets going to trade one of their other starting pitches, Noah Sindergaard? And by the way, Sindergaard, because I pronounced it wrong in the last video, and people got really mad at me. I'm sorry. I'm, blah, shut up. But the rumors that, you know, the Mets didn't like Sindergaard, and so that maybe they brought in Stroman to replace him so they could trade away Sindergaard because they don't, the front office didn't like him, yada, yada. Now, what I said was, wait a minute, hold on. How about after you add, you know, Marcus Stroman to your team, Look at how much better the starting rotation would be for the New York Mets. I said you'd have Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Mark Stroman, Zach Wheeler, Stephen Katz. It's a good starting rotation. That could really help your team. And I said if the Mets get hot, they're six games back. If the Mets get hot, they could get on a streak. And like that's what happens in baseball. Teams get streaky very quickly. If they get hot at the end of the year, they'd have a chance to push for the playoffs and maybe make it. And I was like, I really like what they're doing. How about they keep all their starting pitchers, and they make a push and try to make the playoffs. And I just really wanted the Mets to try for it and try to be interesting. Well, guess what? Guess what happens? If you look at the standings right now, while I'm speaking, I just looked it up. The Mets won today. They are now one game back in the wild card. Unbelievable. They're eight and a half games back in the NL East. They're not going to make the playoffs that way. But they could make it through the wild card. They, are, again, are one game back out of the wild card race. That's unbelievable. They've made up five games since the MLB trade deadline. Unbelievable. I just think that's awesome. The, Nets, the Mets are two games over 500. And I just go, oh, I love it so much. I, I, I really am excited and curious to watch the Mets moving forward. Like, I don't, I just, I love it. I'm glad they traded for Marcus Stroman. I'm glad they kept Noah Syndergaard. I think they have a, a good starting rotation. And I just am so curious to see now if the Mets can get really hot and make the playoffs. I just am so, they are fascinating. And I want to just applaud the Mets 
well done going for a player. I'm not a Mets fan at all. I'm just a guy who likes sports. I was like, man, that's so cool that they took a risk. They made it happen. They kept the guy that reported they didn't like very much. And they're trying to be interesting and try to make the playoffs, and they are making it happen. They're one game out of the playoff, out of the wild card. That is so cool. And just above all else, I am glad the Mets are interesting because that is just good for them. Good for the Mets. You know, the Yankees are really, really good. They're dominating in the AL East. But quietly in the NL East, the Mets on the other side of New York, man, they're a fascinating team that is trying to make the playoffs. And I, I'm, I find myself, it's just a, I'm not a fan of any, I don't have a favorite team really in any sport. I find myself rooting for the Mets because that's just cool. Like a cool story of a team that got hot, it's kind of coming back. I don't know if they can hold on and keep that streak going and eventually clinch the wild card, but it is just a, it's going to be fun nearing the end of the season to watch what happens with the New York Mets coming up. I think the trade for Marcus Stroman was really good. They're kind of getting hot. Jacob DeGrom is pitching really well, and I'm so curious to see what can happen. Can the Mets, in fact, come all the way back, clinch the wild card, and make the playoffs? That would be so cool to see. All right, um, now... All in all, the MLB trade deadline was just fairly mundane. I mean, I'm sorry, like, the Yankees didn't make the big move. Everyone was kind of waiting. We wanted to see the Yankees make a big move. They didn't make any big moves. LA Dodgers didn't make a big move. However, one team, if you ask me, one team dominated, made a huge, overwhelming move at the trade deadline. One team won the MLB trade deadline. And I think kind of saved, the rumor is like, is this the worst MLB trade deadline we've ever seen? And I think, I think really, like, this trade kept it from being that. So the Houston Astros traded for former Cy Young winner Zach Greinke. Now, the Astros gave up three of their top five prospects in the trade. They gave up uh, Seth Beer, an outfielder, and two pitchers, uh, Corbin Martin and J.B. Bustakis. Bukaskis. Bukaskis. J.B. Bukaskis. That's the name. Like I don't, it's hard. It's hard to pronounce his names. Okay, I'm sorry. Now, in fact, in spite of the fact that I've never seen JB, uh, I cannot pronounce JB Bogoskis's name. I have actually seen the guy pitch before. I watched him pitch in spring training because I'm a nerd. I watch a lot of sports, um, and he's a good pitcher. His mechanics do concern me a little bit. I don't know how. If I'm the the Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm not like, oh, this is great. Like he's he's pitched well in the pre in spring training. He pitched well against. Uh, guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. against Biggio uh, with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. But I, I just, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on the prospects. And I think, you know, good for the, I think the reason why the Arizona Diamondbacks did this, they wanted to dump salary cap. They got some prospects that are younger, they're cheaper, maybe they can build for the future. But they really wanted to get rid of that expensive contract that Zach Greinke had. And that's why it's such a great trade for the Houston Astros. Like, you know, the Diamondbacks got three prospects, good for them. But the return that the Astros got for giving up those three prospects is unbelievable. And I think that the Astros are going for a championship and they should be the favorite. Right now, the Houston Astros starting rotation is Justin Verlander, an all-star, legendary, big-time pitcher. Garrett Cole, who this year was an all-star. And now they added Zach Greinke. A six-time All-Star, the 2009 Cy Young winner in the AL. In 2015, he was the second place. Uh, run, he was a runner-up for the NL Cy Young. And I just he's another incredible pitcher, not to mention that the fourth guy in the rotation, Wade Miley, is pitching outstanding. He has a 3.05 ERA. So now across the board, the Astros have four pitchers who all 
are in the top 15 earned run average in all of baseball. Zach Greinke is the worst of them, actually, 14th in all of baseball. That's unheard of and unbelievable. The Astros starting pitching is dominant, and they're going to annihilate people. I just, wow, 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 wow. I can't believe it. I, I just, oh, man, I, I really think, you know, the Astros are already the favorites kind of in the discussion right now. The Astros are, you know, 74 and 40. They're nine games ahead of the Oakland Athletics for the AL East. The Astros are the favorites right now to win the World Series. But then this Granky trade pushed them all the way to the top by themselves. Before we were talking about maybe the Yankees, maybe the Dodgers. Now the Astros are clearly the favorites. And so I just, I'm looking so much forward to the Major League Baseball playoffs. Um, I love playoff baseball. It's tense. It's fun. Pitching matters. I can't wait to watch the Astros go up against the Yankees lineup. That's what I want. In the ALCS, I want to watch the Yankees and the Astros. And uh, I really hope eventually we get Dodgers, Astros in the World Series. That'd be really fun to watch. But I just, I just, man, the Astros are dominant. Their pitching is so scary. Now, it's also really expensive. You got to look at the Astros' books. Uh, Zach Greinke makes $34 million a year. Now, the Diamondbacks also gave up in the trade. The Diamondbacks gave $24 million cash to the Astros. They were just trying to get rid of that Greinke contract because uh, they're like, we just can't afford We don't want to afford this. We can't afford this. We're done. They're, we're out of contention. We're not winning a lot. We're just going to give you the contract. Um, now, the Astros are going to pay him for the next three years through 2021 $34 million a year. Additionally to that, you know, the, the Astros also have Justin Verlander on their, on their uh, books. They're going to pay Justin Verlander through 2021 $33 million a piece every year. And so the Astros rotation is really, really expensive, but also really, really good. And if they can win a championship, it is completely worth it. All, you know, giving up their prospects, three guys. I don't know. I think Zach Greinke's way more substance than that would have happened. And it's all worth it. If the Astros can indeed win another championship, that'd be unbelievable. I'd be really happy for them. And I think they should be the clear favorites to win the World Series. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we're going to do the Patreon-funded topic, Ask Zach. Remember, Ask Zach is where uh, we take comments, questions, and concerns from people who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Uh, we're also going to talk, we're, you know, in this segment, we're going to talk about 18-game regular season. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Uh, I'm going to share my thoughts on the media a little bit more than that. We're also going to talk about with Trevor Lobb. There's an interview coming up at the end of next segment with Trevor Lobb, a guy who snuck into a ton of Warriors games, snuck courtside. It's going to be really interesting, a fun interview. Guy I've known for a while. Uh, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, let's now shift gears to Ask Zach. Uh, if you don't know, Ask Zach is its new segment I'm going to do at the end of every single show. It's a way for me to engage with people who listen to the show and are big fans of Strong Opinion Sports. Remember, people who support me at the dollar level or above on Patreon have access to submit questions. And then I pick the top couple questions. I'm going to answer them at the end of every single show. My Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Um, today, there are seven questions I want to discuss. It'll be really fun. I'm very excited. I also want to add, you know, I loved reading all these questions. I, it meant a lot to me. I, there's a, you know, a lot of people submitted a lot of personal questions, a lot of stuff, and I had really good messages with everybody on Patreon. Um, and I just want to share a, a personal message at the end, a very nice touch. 
Um, so that'll be at the end about how much this whole process meant to me. But for now, let's answer some questions. Let's jump into first, um, Wyatt asked this question. He said, Zach, wondering if you have any thoughts on the 18-game regular season. And so, yes, Wyatt, I did. Uh, at first, I, I actually laughed at the 18-game regular season. I was like, ah, no way. I thought this was just a symptom of the summer. Because at the summer, it's a really dead time in sports, especially in football. And um, it's a slow news time. And, I, and then I talked to my buddies who played in the NFL. Uh, I have a couple guys who I played with in high school or played in the NFL. And uh, they all believe, all the players seem to believe, that eventually an 18-game regular season is, in fact, going to happen. There's a, a really strong belief among players that it's not if, it's how long will it take, it's when. When will this happen, not if. Um, because NFL owners want an 18-game regular season. NFL owners want a longer regular season. Right now, you know, the regular season is 16 games. I want to add two more games because more games means more revenue and more money for the league and more money for the owners of teams. Uh, now, personally, I don't want a longer season. I don't. Um, there's more injuries. I think 16 games is enough. My two arguments against an 18-game regular season is that, look, we don't, need, we don't need more time for guys to get hurt. We don't really need two more games. I think one of the things that makes the NFL so special is the scarcity and the rarity of their games. You know, the NBA and the MLB has far too long of seasons. I just, I can't keep up. I can't watch every, I just, I can't watch every game. There's too many things going on. But the NFL, because it's a game a week, and because it's only 16 week, you know, 17 weeks, 16 games, I can follow that. I can track all of that. That's easy for me, and I really like that, and it makes it more special. I think, you know, 18 games would not be too many for a season, right? An NFL season with 18 games would still be okay. It'd be interesting. It wouldn't really diminish the quality at all. But you do, it's a slippery slope, right? You don't want to oversaturate the market with too many games. And I think that after 18, it's all downhill from there. I, I just don't think you can sustain that many more games than an 18-game regular season. And I don't see any need to go and extend things to an 18-game regular season. We just don't need that. Now, um, it is likely going to happen. And we have to kind of accept that fact that there probably will be at some point an 18-game regular season. So my hope is that more games means more money for more players, right? Like, I, I think that, uh, excuse me, more money for the players in general. Um, you know, I, I hope that the NFL will use the extra revenue to raise the salary cap for teams so there's more money to go around, more ways, more money to pay players. I hope they raise the minimum salaries for NFL players. And I hope they invest in extended and improved retirement plans for the players. I really think that this money, if you're going to add more games to the season and you're going to generate more revenue for the league, I want the players to see some of that money. Raise the salary cap. Make retirement plans better. Make minimum salaries higher. Raise that. Um, because, you know, these guys' bodies are going to get destroyed by raising the salary caps. And so I, I think the players that are affected should also reap the rewards and get a lump sum of the money that would be generated by having additional teams, uh, additional games. So an 18-game regular season, that's kind of my opinion. I don't really want it. I think it's inevitable it's going to happen. And I hope the players see some of that money that's going to be generated by it. Now, Rita wrote in. Rita wrote in and said, hey, <laughs> exclamation point, said, I'm super excited about the Ask Zach segment. Oh, me too. I'm very excited. Said, my question is, among the teams who didn't make the playoffs last season, which, if any, 
do you believe have made enough moves during the offseason to be Super Bowl contenders? Well, Rita, thank you so much for the question. Uh, so which teams didn't make the playoffs last year in 2018 that now can suddenly become Super Bowl contenders? To me, there are two teams, actually, that fit this criteria. It's the Browns and the Packers. Now, to me, I think the Browns and the Packers are the two most fascinating teams in all of football. I love it. I'm really excited. Uh, the Packers, number one, have an incredible quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. But they have more than that this year. This is why I'm excited for the Packers. They finally got Aaron Rodgers some help. They got a good coach, Matt LaFleur, who has really clever play design. They have an improved offensive line. But more than anything, the Packers have finally a defense. I'm so excited to watch the Packers' defense. They're going to get after quarterbacks this year. They brought in Preston Smith and uh, Zadarius Smith, two edge rushers from, in free agency. I'm excited to watch them. They drafted Rashawn Gary, a defensive end from Michigan. He's going to have an impact. Then they added safety from the Bears, Adrian Amos, who is replacing HaHa Clinton-Dix in the Packers' secondary. HaHa Clinton-Dix was legendary for he, – he made a lot of big plays. He also took a lot of risks, and that man, he got beat a lot. Adrian Amos is a safer bet who is more often in the right spot than HaHa Clinton-Dix was. That's an improvement of safety if you ask me. The Bears, uh, the, sorry, excuse me, the Packers defense just in general all around is far better. And you look at the Packers, you go, man, great quarterback, solid defense, a good young coach. The Packers are absolutely Super Bowl contenders, if you ask me. Now, the other team is the Browns, right? The Browns have, number one, Baker Mayfield, their quarterback, is extremely talented. Can't wait to watch him. They also have, this is a very stereotypical argument. Everyone talks about, the Browns' offensive weapons. You know, they have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Nick Chubb. After a suspension, they'll have Kareem Hunt. They also have Antonio Callaway, who's spotty, but he's no slouch. And in fact, they haven't gotten rid of Duke Johnson, another solid running back. So everyone's talking about the Browns' offensive weapons. And I think, in fact, the Browns are going to have one of the best offenses in the entire NFL. Great quarterback, ton of weapons. I'm excited to watch them. But the Browns' defense is the thing everyone's forgetting about. The Browns have great players all over the board on defense. Miles Garrett, a defensive end. Sheldon Richardson, a defensive tackle. They have a good secondary. They have Greedy Williams. They have Denzel Ward at corner. What that means is the, the Browns have a good pass rush. They also have a good secondary. So they're going to get after quarterbacks, and quarterbacks are going to struggle to throw against them. That's a really good match together. I cannot wait to watch. And so there's a lot of solid players on defense, the lesser-known names. And I just, you know, if you ask me, the Browns are Super Bowl contenders, not just because of their offense, not just because of their quarterback, but it's the people that aren't getting talked about on the Browns. Their defense is really interesting. And as a couple playmakers, I cannot wait to watch this year. And it's going to be really exciting. I think they're going to be a really stout defense in some ways. Um, now, again, the two teams I think that missed the playoffs in 2018 that have a chance to win a Super Bowl this year, the Browns. And the Packers. Now, also, you got to acknowledge this one more thing before we move on. They both have the same fatal flaw. They both have massively improved. They have a chance at the Super Bowl. But they also both have questions about their attitudes. Could Aaron Rodgers' attitude be the downfall of the Packers? Could Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback, his attitude? Could the attitude of Odell Beckham Jr.? Could the locker room of the Browns fall apart? They both have that same question. Not only could the Packers and Browns, like any team, have their chances at a Super Bowl get ruined by injuries, but drama is a real storyline you got to watch 
with both the Packers and the Browns. How does drama affect their seasons this year, if at all? Could that be the limiting factor that holds them back from winning a Super Bowl? Rita, thank you for your question. And those are the two teams I think that didn't make the playoffs in 2018 that have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Uh, Alex asked me this. Alex asked me a question about baseball. Uh, and, and I really, uh, I love this question. Alex said this. He said, <laughs> he said, I think this is how I ask you something. Not sure, but here it goes. Alex, good job. You, you, in fact, found the right avenue. So, by the way, on Patreon, send me a message. Comment on a post. I will find your comment. I want to find everything I can. Um, it's really nice on Patreon because I don't read every YouTube comment. I don't read every Instagram DM I get. But on Patreon, I can read everything. It's doable. It's there. It's all in one place. I'll read everything. So find a way to bring up your question on Patreon. I'll find a way to read it. I want to answer your guys' questions. And it's awesome. So Alex says this. Alex says, since you say you're not a numbers and statistics guy when it comes to sports, I was curious as to what your thoughts are on the movie Moneyball, if you've seen it. Alex, I have seen Moneyball. Um, first of all, Moneyball is actually my favorite sports movie of all time. I love it. Um, I'm a huge fan of Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt is I, – I just – I love the guy. I loved him in Troy. I loved him in Inglorious Bastards. I think that's a movie I'm, I'm naming right. I think it's that one. I loved him in Fury with the Tank and uh, Shia LaBeouf. I just love Brad Pitt. I also like Jonah Hill. He's fantastic. And if you haven't seen uh, Moneyball, I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say it's, it's a story of how the Oakland A's built a playoff Major League Baseball team with a really limited salary. They, they use analytics to build their team and built it much cheaper than other teams at the time. And first of all, the movie has a good story. But analytics-driven baseball is also proven to work. I, I acknowledge this, right? It's simply undeniable. Stats and numbers matter. I just personally get bored by them, right? I can acknowledge that Moneyball and statistics and analytics, it's a very important part of sports. It just also is really boring to me. The reason why Moneyball is cool is not because of that stuff. It's because of the personal stories behind the people doing analytics. When analytics is the story, I get bored. When numbers itself are the story, I just get bored. Um, you know, I watched a video recently. I was really excited. I watched actually like the first 10 minutes, like uh, five minutes. I turned it off. I got bored. It was by another big YouTuber who does sports. Um, the video was like, what happened to Josh Freeman, the former Buccaneers quarterback? And I was so excited. I was like, oh, I wonder what happened on the field. What did he do? Did he, did he sink? Did he suck? Was he making mistakes? What happened? And the video only talked about his statistics. It only talked about like he had this amount of touchdowns and this amount of interceptions and this and that. And I was like, this is boring as all heck because most people use numbers as the only part of their story. It's like there's so much more. Like how about why were the numbers generated? Was he making bad decisions? Did he struggle at reading defenses? Did this, did that? Numbers are the cause. Or, excuse me. Numbers are the effect, not the cause. Does that make sense? So people who focus on numbers for stories I think are wrong to me. Uh, there's so much more behind what causes statistics and what causes numbers. And so I, I just like – I. I get personally really bored, again, when uh, you know, most sports analysts in general only resort to statistics because they're lazy and because stats are easy. It's really hard to watch the Vikings season four times. I did that for my Kirk Cousins analysis video. It's hard to watch four times the Vikings season. It's really easy to Google Kirk Cousins and rattle off a couple of stats. And most people who talk about sports do that. It's also really easy to manipulate numbers. Some people, I mean, there are so many statistics and numbers out there. And many of the stats people cite are just irrelevant. Like, they're just useless. Like, you found some random thing that, you know, 
on third downs in Tennessee when it's raining, Marcus Mariota is better. It's like, dude, who cares? Who cares? That's not a relevant statistic. That's some crap you found. You found some weird, um, like, tendency. It's like, doesn't, it's not really relevant to the sport. So, Moneyball is cool because it deduced baseball to a formula. But again, I've just found that when numbers are the story, it's boring. They work. Analytics work. They matter. Three-point shots matter in basketball. Analytics clearly matter in baseball. Um, But also, like, Moneyball worked because they figured out which statistics mattered. They didn't just yell any statistics out there. And so I I just, I don't know. I, I just, I think I've said the same thing over and over again. When people make sports about numbers, I get really bored. They're not stories. Stories are why I like sports, and stories are why sports are interesting. And Moneyball was great because it didn't just focus on the stats. It was the story behind the people who figured out what stats mattered. I think numbers are overused often. We should look more at behavior that causes the numbers rather than the numbers themselves. And from a storytelling perspective, again, I think listing a bunch of stats is just, as I just listed a really boring reason why I hated Moneyball, but just listing a bunch of stats he had this many touchdowns, this many interceptions, this many blank. This many, it's like that's really boring, and I just do not care. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but numbers and me, not good friends. Um, but Moneyball, great movie. But why is Moneyball a great movie? Moneyball's a great movie because it focuses on the stories behind the numbers. Ooh, interesting, really good. Lawrence asked me a question. Um, <laughs> Lawrence actually DM'd me on, I think it was Instagram or maybe it was YouTubers. I saw somewhere Lawrence is like, I hope you get my question. Lawrence, I did get your question. And I was very, I'm very excited to answer it. Um, (laughs) He says this. He says, Zach, big fan here. Here's my question for Ask Zach. He said, I watch a lot of podcasts regarding football. And one is by Pro Football Focus. It's called Chris Sims Unbuttoned. Chris recently made a list of his top 40 quarterbacks. And it's been a huge controversy. Knowing you, (laughs) you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyways, my question for you, Zach, who is your top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now, starting from number 10 down? Um, It's really funny, by the way, you mentioned that. Lawrence, I had no idea what you were talking about. I've never never heard of Chris Sims unbuttoned. I do like Chris Sims. Seems like an interesting analyst. Um, But I I do pay almost zero attention to sports media. I just, I don't care. But I will bite. Um, I'm going to change your criteria a little bit. I'm going to give you the top nine quarterbacks and I'm not going to give you them in order, but I'll actually, I will go one through 10, but I'm not going to give you them in order, but I will list 10 quarterbacks. I think are the 10 best in the NFL. How about that? Because for me, like I can't rank guys one through 10. I just, I I don't have the heart in me to do it anymore. I just like, ah, I used to be the guy I used to be able to do that. Like this is this. And here's what I, I don't have that same. I don't want to be, I don't have that same drive to be controversial anymore. I just don't. Because um, I think when you're looking at quarterbacks, especially like how how good are they in big moments? How do they much do they win? What about their leadership? How about their arm strength, their accuracy, their ability to read defenses? There are so many factors that goes into judging a quarterback. It's nearly impossible. Like to like parse between Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Like it's all. It's like they're just all so close. I don't think you can kind of parse between all of them. But for me, um, I will say that there is a definite top five in no order. In my opinion, these are the five best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Again, be very clear. In no order. (laughs) These are the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. My five are Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Drew Brees. 
One more time, the five best quarterbacks in the NFL are Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady. Those are the five best, if you ask me. They're special. They're elite. There's all a bunch of reasons why they're elite. You know, Tom Brady's really close attention to detail. Drew Brees, great attention to detail. Russell Wilson's unbelievable. His leadership, yada, yada. Patrick Mahomes' ability makes him incredible. Aaron Rodgers' ability makes him incredible. But there are all, a lot of reasons why all of them are the top five collective quarterbacks in the NFL. Then there's the next tier down. There's the next four quarterbacks. To me, again, in no order, it goes Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck, and Carson Wentz. Those are the next four best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's only nine guys, by the way. So the top nine in no order, the bottom, the top five, again, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. The next tier is Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger. But the last spot, number 10, I was trying to get one through 10. It was really, really hard. I was like, is it Philip Rivers, Matthew Stafford? I even had Kirk Cousins bouncing around, maybe Cam Newton. Baker Mayfield could get up there next season. The guy I decided to put at number 10 is Deshaun Watson. I really like him. Uh, I think Philip Rivers' arm is kind of waning. Matthew Stafford doesn't want a lot. Kirk Cousins is kind of an idiot in big moments. Cam Newton's Cam Newton. He's really emotional, kind of all over the place, erratic. Baker Mayfield hasn't proved himself yet. To me, Deshaun Watson is the number 10 best quarterback in the NFL. So number 10 is, they're all so close, there's really no idea. I, I give it to Deshaun Watson. But again, in no order, these are the top nine quarterbacks in the NFL, if you ask me. The top five are Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Then six, seven, eight, and nine, in no order, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, Big Ben, and Matt Ryan. So those are my nine best quarterbacks in the entire NFL, in my humble opinion. If you were curious, there you go. Not exactly how you wanted it, I know, I'm sorry, um, but you know, I did answer it in some ways. Okay, Noah wrote in and asked this question. Noah said, which QB do or would you compare yourself to from the NFL? Um, so I, I do play college quarterback, and I get this question a lot. Like, what quarterback do you kind of look like? What kind of quarterback do you act like? Um, I think there's one thing people should understand. I'm a small, humble Division three quarterback. I am not, you know, I, I never really had any scholarship offers um, I did compete at high school camps with big names, but I am a, I'm not at all a notable quarterback. There's a reason why you've never seen a film analysis of Zach Schaumler. I'm just not like a great, I'm just fine. I'm a small guy. I'm 5'11". Um, I'm not buff at all. I have average arm strength. Uh, I'm just not really comparable to any NFL quarterbacks. But it, I will say this. If I had to compare myself to anybody, um, I do model my game after former Washington State quarterback Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is now with, you know, see, by the way, Gardner Minshew is one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Right there, I almost like forgot his name. That's not like because I don't know who Gardner Minshew is, not because I don't study his tape, just because that's how my brain works sometimes. I just like sometimes completely forget names. I'm so bad with names. One time I was talking about the Denver Broncos and I forgot John Elway's name. And I was like, ah, I, I, yeah, I couldn't remember. And I got blasted in the YouTube comments. I'm like, guys, that just happens sometimes. Sometimes like for me, I think I might be a little bit dyslexic. I'm terrible. Ter I can't even remember my friend's name sometimes. And I'm like, I've known them for seven years. Anyways, <laughs> um, the former Washington State quarterback Gardner Minshew is who I kind of model my game after. And I think who I would be closest compared to in the NFL. He's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's really inspired me in his career. I met him once. A uh, very nice guy. 
Uh, I used to work with Washington State uh, up there in Pullman, Washington. But, you know, Gardner Minshew has an average arm. Uh, he can run a little bit. He can get six or seven yards when he needs to. He really is good at extending plays and keeping plays alive. But the number one thing that I really found common ground with with Gardner Minshew is mentally really sharp. He knows his playbook like the back of his hand, um, and he loves playing football. And I really identified with that. You know, for me as a quarterback, I believe my strength is my mind. You know, knowing a playbook is just work ethic. It's do you study or not? That's all effort. And I can give great effort and learn any playbook. Uh, I think I know football pretty well. But it's not just this, the, the mental ability of knowing football, I think, that makes me a good quarterback and makes me my mental side of the game the best. I think also I'm mentally really poised. Um, I work really hard, and I've done a lot of work and journaling and all kinds of stuff in the last couple of years since my brother died to get to an emotionally comfortable level where it's just I'm pretty even keel. Um, I'm not the biggest or the fastest, um, but I know a playbook really well. I try to be really even keel so that when I throw an interception or I miss a throw or a guy's doing better than me, I just stay level and can handle the highs and lows that come with football. When other guys' brains kind of fall apart and you know, they make a mistake and they kind of make a, they become a huge mess. I've worked really hard to become the kind of guy who's even keel in a bad situation, who's very level and emotionally stable. And so I think my NFL comparison would be just the lowly backup of the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, Gardner Minshew, because I love football. I don't have a biggest, fastest arm, um, but I can run around a little bit. I try to extend plays. I make that a point in my game. And I love football. I love football. I try to be a little bit a good leader and, I watched him at Washington State be a good veteran leader for their team, and I, I knew that my attitude and my effort in college could be uh, something I brought to the table, and that's what I model my game after is exactly what Gardner Minshew brought to Washington State last year um, as a quarterback. I just really admire that. Okay, the next question I want to answer. Uh, this one made me laugh. It's from Josh. Oh, Josh. Um, Josh wrote in and said this. Josh said, how many clones of you would it take to defeat one full-grown silverback gorilla. <laughs> and re remember, you know, Josh paid money to ask me this question. And I was like, I, I got a lot of goofy questions. This is the one I chose. That was really funny. I have no I think I have an idea where this came from, actually. I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, Shelby, I got this weird question. What do you think? And she goes, um, she goes I think that's something from Barstool Sports. I'm like, really? Bar I don't watch Barstool at all. I have no idea. Um, but I, I did some research into gorillas to try to answer your question, Josh. Um, I, what I found is that gorillas can throw about 1,000 pounds of weight. They can just, they can literally just like 1,000 pounds, they can just chuck it across a room. And so I was like, oh, so that's like over five of me. So more than five of me at least is what we're going to need if Zach Schaumler, a clone, is going to take down a silverback gorilla. Um, I think somewhere around the, you know, 25 or more of me, because my goal, if I'm going to try to take on a silverback gorilla with my bare hands and I have a, a mass of Zach clones, like I'm imagining. Like in World War Z, when this just massive zombie Zach clones are like kind of crawling over each other. If we can just get enough of me cloned up on top of the silverback gorilla where we just squish him with our weight, that's the only way I win. Because he could really beat like 10 of me, a silverback gorilla could just annihilate. That's, he really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm nervous. Like it would take a lot, maybe 50 Zachs in order for me to win a fight with a silverback gorilla. Um, I know this is going down a dark path. But the only way I could beat a silverback gorilla with my bare hands is if there was, like, 50 clones of me. And we just had so much mass that we just could sit on him, and we'd have enough of him that he couldn't move, like a giant pile. Now, actually, um, I did have this one other thought that I guess if I had a weapon, 
like a gun or really my, so my brain I don't want to go that dark so let's say I have a tranquilizer gun right so me alone in the woods with a tranquilizer gun and a silverback gorilla I might be able to win that there's there's a chance that I could walk out okay now the problem though is that imagine I shoot a silverback gorilla I shoot him he gets really mad he runs after me he kills me and then he falls asleep because it takes a while for the tranquilizer to work so I think Zach, me versus Silverback Gorilla, there's not really any chance I ever win that. Um, I think I would be dead pretty quick. If that was a Barstool question, it makes a lot of sense because Barstool loves to talk about things that are not sports, short dig. Um, But hey, Josh, thanks for your question. I thought it was funny. I think maybe once an episode, I'll pick one of those funny questions about life or about whatever and just answer. Because I think I love sports, but let's use this topic to talk about more than just like maybe occasionally once, once an episode, I'll pick a question. That's just fun and silly, and you get some insight into my brain and how it works. Now, the last question I want to answer is from Michael. <sighs> I, first of all, Michael is a guy who also watches Sacred, listens to Sacred Symbols, my favorite podcast. Really cool. Michael wrote in and said this. Michael wrote in and said, hey, Zach, I love your show. It is refreshing compared to other typical shows on FS1, ESPN, etc. Those feel really artificial with hosts seemingly disagreeing just for the sake of manufacturing an argument. I'm curious as to what you think about sports media personalities like Skip Bayless, who seem to love to just be contrarian and contradict themselves repeatedly. And also, shout out to the fellow Sacred Symbols fan. Um, you know, Michael, thank you for your question. Um, I, I do respect guys like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and Colin Cowherd. Um, they're professionals. I mean, they're performers, really. And uh, they're just trying to get reactions from people. That's, I, I, don't, I intentionally don't watch those shows. I don't like them. I used to kind of tune in a little bit in high school. Um, my biggest problem, though, with the approach of most people in the sports media is they say too much. There's just too much out there. Colin Cowherd um, has a three-hour show five days a week. There's not that much content in the sports world. You're just, most of your show becomes filler. There's not enough sports for all of that. And people talk about nonsense and filler crap. And I, I just, that's where I try to be different from the rest of the sports world is my show is not filler at all. It's very to the point. I don't talk about, you know, when I was a kid, I listened to Dan Patrick one time. And he talked about cheese sandwiches for like 15 minutes. And I was like, dude, I don't care about cheese sandwiches. I'm watching sports. I want to hear about sports. And so, you know, like Barstool Sports, I know people love them. They don't really talk about sports very often. And so, you know, I just, I, like, Dan Patrick is the one that infuriates me the most. Like, so the three biggest people in sports media world for me as a kid growing up in sports radio, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd. Colin Cowherd is my favorite. I liked his life analogies. I felt like you could get more out of sports than just sports because he always talked about, like, a life lesson and this and that. And I like that a lot. That's kind of the approach I've modeled myself after. Jim Rome, I never liked, but I always have respected how hard, especially once I started doing a podcast. I was like, man, Jim Rome, love him or hate him, the guy prepares really hard and is always ready to go. Dan Patrick is really lazy. He doesn't do any preparation. It seems like he just sits down and talks. He has people on. Most of his show is just interviews and phone calls. And when your show is just phone calls, you're just filling time, listening to nonsense, trying to – it's just crap. And I just ah, – I don't like it at all. Um, but again, you know, Colin Coward – it, in my opinion, prepares the hardest of anybody in the sports media. Um, I respect them a lot. But again, you don't need three hours of content from anybody. It just, you know, I, I, I just, it's too much. And so a change I made in my life recently in the last, you know, 
six to eight months, um, I completely stopped watching any kind of sports opinion shows. And everything. Everything you can think of. I don't listen because I get accused of copying people and it's really annoying. I don't like it at all. And so the only way I can be sure that I'm really saying what I believe in is my opinion is I just don't listen at all. Therefore, when I say something, it, it, like if, if me and Jim Rome have a similar take and someone accuses me of copying Jim Rome, I can honestly answer to them, you know what? I've actually never once listened to Jim Rome. So at least not in, you know, like one, I've listened actually never to Jim Rome. Um, I listened to like a couple of his bits on YouTube. He's pretty good at that. Um, his show is boring to me. But um, <laughs> I, cannot, I can honestly answer. Like if, if, what's a great example? Let's say the Browns go like start the season 6-0. and And at that point, we have the same take on the Browns. I can say, look, I know I'm not copying Jim Rome, even if we have the same take, because I haven't actually listened to Jim Rome. So I just avoid all sports media. I don't like listening. I have a bunch of interests also outside of sports. Like sports, I love them. They're becoming such a thing that rules over my whole life. I kind of want to go branch into other stuff. I like hiking a lot. Uh, I go hike with my girlfriend. I love video games. I actually never play video games. I'm very sad. I have a giant video game collection that I'll never touch. I just don't have enough time in my life. Um, but I listen to a, a podcast called Sacred Symbols, which is just like makes me so happy. I get to live vicariously about video games through those guys who talk about video games. And um, like, as as far as sports content, I just I don't watch or listen to anybody. Um, you know, especially there are two guys, three people I get compared to all the time. Two especially that trigger me, and make me frustrated. Um, people always compare me to Colin Cowherd and Brett Coleman, and so I, I just very intentionally tune them out. I don't listen to them. I don't listen to any of their content. I don't watch them at all. I don't click on their stuff because I want to avoid being influenced by them at all costs. I just don't want any... I, I, I know it. I get copy. I get accused of copying them all the time. And I know that the only way to counteract that is just to not watch or listen to them. So that if we have a similar opinion or similar take, it just happens organically and I know I'm not influenced by them at all. And so like I see film breakdowns on YouTube all the time completely avoid them i just don't watch or listen at all and i don't think people realize you know i know this is going long now michael thanks for your question um i don't think people realize if you look at my instagram like scroll down i've worked for major sports networks i worked for, as a cameraman for pac-12 network um i worked for fox sports i worked for espn's college game day at one point um i've been in meetings with producers and hosts and seen how that whole side of things works and i've kind of learned that for me um I, if I need to take a network job to pay for my family and I want to have a family someday and I need kids and yada, I'll take a network job. I'll sell out and do that. But for me, that's not the path I want to take. I'd much rather do it one-on-one with people on YouTube and podcasts. And I, I think I can work for myself and fund it this way and survive. And because um, so many times in those meetings, people are saying things they don't necessarily believe because the show needs entertainment or it needs a contrarian or it needs an opposite perspective and they're manufacturing opinions rather than actually just saying what they believe. And I don't roll that way. Um, you know, I, I never want to say something I don't believe. Every time I speak, I want it to be exactly what I believe. Because I really believe that everything I say represents who I am. And it's like a resume for me. I just I don't want to taint that resume I've built and rapport I've built with people where I have a consistency. And if I change my mind, I change my mind. But I'm open about it and I'm honest about it and I'm not afraid to do that. But I just don't want to say things I don't believe when I say them. And so, um, guys, that's all the questions I have. I just wanted to talk about all those topics and share my heart. Thank you so much for the questions. Um, and now I briefly want to say I loved reading all of the messages I got, 
all the messages on Patreon and the questions. And um, I, I've gotten to the point where I, I read a couple of YouTube comments. I still do. I try not to, though, because they're so, so negative. The constant comparisons to other people, the accusations from people, people calling me ugly, you're fat, they hate my hair, they hate my facial hair. Like, I, by the way, I like how I look. I, I, I feel very comfortable. I like my shirts. I have a rhythm. There's a way I do things that I, I like and I don't really want to change. And no matter how many times people tell you not to listen to YouTube comments, it's just hard to. And so I, I just stopped listening at all. I kind of have taken a step back. I don't really listen to YouTube comments. I don't read them. I try to like, – occasionally I look at my, my money and see how much money my revenue – my videos are making, and I end up seeing a comment, and I wince because it's like, ah, it's another person saying I hate you or you're not this or you're not that. And so um, I just – I try to not let the comments bother me, but it's really hard to have every aspect of your life broken down and constantly criticized. And so I just want to restate, like I have a process that works for me. I like it. I enjoy the show. It's still fun for me. And that's an accomplishment. I, when I go to work and work on the show, it, it's like a reward. I get to work on the show rather than having to work on the show. And that's most people in my life that go to work, they're miserable when they go to work. And so um, I, I like my job. I want to keep it that way with the process I have, which I enjoy. There's a new reality in my life, though, that I've been accepting, which is that I will always be criticized no matter what I do, no matter what I say. What, you know, Whether I say uh, pick the right or the left side. I'm on, let's say a great example is like Jake Fromm. I say Fromm or Fromm. Whichever one I pick, someone else gets mad at me that I'm pronouncing that word wrong. Some people say it's from. Some people say it's from. No matter how I pronounce it, somebody's mad at me. And so I've just accepted that I'm going to have people mad at me all the time, no matter what I do. But all the numbers of messages and the comments and just all completely overwhelmed me. And so I, I just stepped back completely and I, I just, I got felt burned out. But what I really like about Patreon is it's a little bit different. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to stick to only reading messages from Patreon and from you guys who support my show. Um, and all the questions I got and the conversations I've had were about sports. And that, that's so cool. Cause that's, that's why I started Strong Opinion Sports because I love sports. I love having debates about sports. They're my favorite things. And so to get comments and questions from people who are passionate about sports, even if you challenge me. Some people have said, like, Zach, you were wrong about this. But I'm still going to pay you a dollar because I want to have a, a respectful discussion with you. That's great. I, I don't mind being challenged. Can we have a respectful dialogue? That's what's interesting to me. And so um, reading stuff on Patreon from supporters who – are willing to pay a fee to have this discussion, like that's awesome because it filters out some of the nastiness. And it reminded me why I love, I started doing this. I love sports. I love discussing, I love discussing sports. I love sports stories. I love debating. It's fun. Building an argument is one of my favorite things. I love working at my desk and writing something. And so um, I just want to say thank you for the people who submitted questions and submitted comments. And um, I'm excited for the future of ask Zach and the future of strong opinion sports. I'm so sad that I'm going to go on a break briefly for my college football season. I know it's a painful thing that um, I don't even feel fully good about yet, but I think it's, it's the right thing to do. I think taking a break for my football season is the right thing to do. We're not there yet. We have probably two more episodes left of Strong Opinion Sports to release before we do take a break. Um, and the last thing I want to say is that if you want to pay me money to send me nasty messages about how much you hate me and I'm fat and ugly, I am happy to take your money on Patreon Pay me $5 to crap on my facial hair. I will take your money gladly. Uh, I don't mind that. So, um, guys, just thank you so much. The people who support me on Patreon, I really appreciate it. And um, I'm going to now shift gears to one more thing. But, again, 
Guys, thank you so very much. That was uh, Ask Zach, Volume 1. I hope it was good. I hope you enjoyed it, because I enjoyed it a lot. And um, so we'll do it again next time. It'll be great. Now, there's one more thing. Before we end the podcast, um, last week I recorded an interview with a guy named Trevor Lobb. Uh, we actually worked once together on the set of a movie. Uh, we worked on a set of a movie in the Bay Area. He made a video on YouTube the other day that got uh, over 240,000 views. Um, it's called Sneaking Courtside to Every Golden State Warrior Game in 2019. And it got some national attention. I was like, oh, wow. It's kind of weird. I admit it was kind of interesting and curious to see a guy I know on my phone on national headlines like Bleach Report. I was like, what the heck? Oh, my gosh. And so... I called Trevor. I was like, Trevor, what's your story? Let's hear what happened. And so I had no idea what to expect going in. It turned out to be sort of fun. And so now I'm going to cut to the interview. Please enjoy that now. Hey, what's going on, Zach? What's up, man? I, uh, first of all, I was blown away the other day. I was scrolling through headlines, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is Trevor. I know Trevor. And I was just <laughs> – you've become quite a polarizing character uh, recently in the Bay Area especially – um, and, yeah. and it's been really fun to, I don't know, I don't know how to, how to feel about it. Actually. It's been very interesting. And I want to be clear. I, I have no side here. I just want to, I think you have an interesting story and I'd love to promote your YouTube channel and talk about it a little bit. Um, I, I guess maybe if I may, first of all, thank you so much for, you know, letting me call you and bring it coming on the show. Um, what would, how would you describe what you, would you call it a scheme? Like what's, what's an appropriate word for what, what took place, uh, with you the other day? Um, I mean, to me, honestly, it just, I would say it's just like pretty much glorified seat hopping is like what I did. <laughs> sure. Glorified seat hopping. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just like, see, like, I mean, I feel like everybody has a seat hop before. Like you go to a game and then you see a seat that's like a way better seat than yours. That's been open mm-hmm. or something like that, that no one's going to. And you just find a way to go there. Mm-hmm. I just had like a, a more, I don't know, like clear way of going there like because I would, I would check Ticketmaster on before the games and all that so I would know what seats are going to be open yeah so let's let's back up a little bit for people that don't know what what did you do like what what was your your method of getting because you from what I saw the headline I read and then I watched your video is you sat courtside at about around 30 Golden State Warriors games last year for like a really low price yeah. how did that happen what was your your way of doing that yeah, so I actually had a ticket to every single game, mm-hmm. and uh, the way I got uh, got a ticket to every game was the Warriors had a thing called the In the Building Pass, mm-hmm. and what that was is you pay a hundred dollars, and then you uh, you get a ticket to every single game to get inside the arena, and uh, but you're not actually you don't actually get a ticket. It's not even like standing room only or anything. You're, you're like you can like to, watch a bar, right? Yeah, it's like you go to the club up in the two hundred section. And you just watch the game from the 200 section on TV. So that's how I got, and that's how I, yeah, on TV. And, uh, that's how I got a ticket to every single game. And when, uh, I have friends who sit courtside, they have season tickets and all that. And I looked at their tickets and the tickets look exactly the same. Mm. And so I was kind of like, man, like, like, I wonder if I just like in the video, I say that I Photoshopped the ticket. I went on Ticketmaster before, uh, before the games to see which which uh, seats are going to be available, mm-hmm. and then I would I would uh, just Photoshop the ticket to uh, to to match the the seat that's going to be available. Yeah, and pretty much like every single time, there was this one seat uh, or two seats actually. There was two different seats courtside, 
that I guess it was some season ticket holders that just never came to the games. And so hmm. I was able to, to get, sit in those seats the majority of the games. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I would really compare what you did to, there was that video a long time ago, it got like millions of views where a guy made a, me, a media pass and went to, he snuck into the Conor McGregor Floyd, May, uh, Floyd Mayweather fight. And I think what you yeah, did is very it. similar. I mean, are they comparable in your mind? I, I mean, I would personally say that his was a lot worse than mine because he actually like got backstage next to McGregor and actually walked out with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his was egregious and, and way more than yours. Yeah, and like I would say, like that, for that one, like that actually kind of poses like a threat to sure. the actual people. Like, what if he wanted to like hurt Conor McGregor or something like that? He actually had like the chance and opportunity to do that with me. I was just like sitting sitting in a seat that I wasn't supposed to sit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's not like it'd, it'd be the same if if I like photoshopped a pass to be able to get inside the locker room. Is that's when I would say it'd be equal to to what what that guy did to Conor McGregor is what you mean? Uh, what was that you mean if if what that guy did is more comparable to getting into the locker room for the Warriors? Is that what you mean? Not what you yeah, did. Yeah, you yeah, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what you did yeah, basically yeah. was it's like again like seat hopping where you're in the three hundred level and I'm going to go down to the front and set. You know, you you'd go to a different seat because you see it opening. Um, you know, yeah. how do you feel about, cause I think some people have, uh, first of all, you've been very, again, there's some people call you a hero. Some people, cause some people <laughs> are like that. And then some people look at you as a villain. What's it like, first of all, to have such a different reaction from different people. And then how do you respond to people that, uh, would call you a villain? How does that make you feel? And, uh, what do you think about all that? I mean, I think, I think most people, I think this is what it is. It's like a lot of people think like, it's cool that I did that. And like, I, I respect that opinion. And, like, because, I mean, it, it was pretty cool. It was, like, pretty much, like, the funnest time I've ever had. Like, yeah, it's probably a thrill. Ever because, like, I've always wanted to sit courtside at Warriors games, and mm-hmm. I've never been able to just because, obviously, it's, like, so much money, especially now. Yeah. But uh, people, that that the video actually got taken down from mm-hmm. YouTube for a period of time, but now it's back up because I appealed it. Yeah. And, um uh, I think what it was is a lot of people, they probably do this, they or actually, I don't know, but, like, or, I mean, it's not that I think that I know a lot of people do the same thing. And they kind of, like, were probably mad that I, like, exposed, like, the secret, even though it's not really a secret. Like, mm. they do they think that these people, the people that run sports organizations are dumb? Like, <laughs> like that they know that this is going on. Like, yeah. if they really wanted to stop it, they could, like, have, like, people scanning at every section if they wanted to. Yeah. But, uh, so they probably just think that, like, oh, like, you exposed the secret now, we're never going to be able to do it again. Hmm. And so I think that's where a lot of like the villain comes from. Yeah. Have the Warriors reached out to you at all? Because I know here one main difference I looked at when I saw your video versus that Conor McGregor video is if you sneak into a boxing match, there's not really the same level of organization in boxing. Whereas the NBA is a very much more defined league. There's a lot. There are a lot. I would think they're a lot more strict. Have Have the NBA or the Warriors reached out to you at all? No, I haven't got reached out hmm. by anybody from the NBA or the Warriors. Yeah. But I would say that. I'm not really like out of the clear yet because I I don't know if you saw the story of the guy who uh, who faked the media pass to get in the game seven of the finals in 2016. Have you seen that? I didn't see that. No. What happened there? Uh, he pretty much did the same thing as the Conor McGregor guy. He faked a media pass saying that mm. he uh, that he worked for Bleacher Report, and then he was able to get inside as with a media pass, and he just watched game seven and everything. But uh, he said, I actually DM'd him on Instagram, and he replied to just, like, saying what his experience was. Yeah. And he said that they didn't reach out to him until, like, two months after after mm. he even did it. Yeah. So so that's kind of, like, 
don't know. Like, I guess I'll I'll probably be taking like a little easier breaths after like two months if they still haven't reached out. Well, see, so you're when I I met you in San Jose. You're a Bay Area guy. You're a lifelong Warrior fan. Is the is the fear yeah, that sure. something might happen? Because I know you love your team. Is the fear that you might get banned for life or something like that? Is that a real legitimate concern to you? I mean, like that would suck. But it, the the whole reason why I came out with the video because if I if I was still in the Bay Area, I would still try to find ways to go to Warriors games and all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, pretty much after the season, I moved to LA, and so at that point, I knew that like I wasn't really going to be able to go to any Warriors games anyway. Yeah, like if any at all, if I like when I go back to the Bay Area, but so that's kind of like why I made the video. I was like, well, I feel like this is like a super dope story. Yeah, and like I feel like like people would enjoy it, and like how like people would call me a hero for it or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> but but yeah, so I thought it was just going to be like a cool story to tell, and I thought like I might as well try to get the views. <laughs> I think one thing is undeniable to in the story is when you're an uncle someday or have you know you're around little kids. This is like a cool Uncle Trev story. Like you're like back in the day, yeah. I did this crazy thing. Here's I mean that's if nothing else, it's a good story. I do acknowledge that, and I think anyone should be able to acknowledge that. It's it's a funny, interesting story. Yeah. Um. You Definitely. know. So you you did doctor tickets? Is that I don't think I mean again we've seen that a bunch. Um. Did YouTube take the video, or did YouTube take the video down? Did the NBA take the video down? Because there was a period where the video got taken down completely. What What's the story behind well, that? What happened? At first, I thought this was kind of like I don't know, kind of like put a little fear in me. It was like I was like, oh man, like the Warriors must have like had this taken down or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But then, but then once it came back up, it kind of like confirmed to me that like, oh, if the Warriors were the ones that took this down, like YouTube wouldn't have put it back up. So it must have just been so many people that were like butthurt in the comments must have been like flagging the video or reporting it or something like that. So they mm. had to take it down yeah. and then I appealed it. And then, was, and then when you appeal it, it goes under manual review and then somebody from YouTube probably manually reviewed it, saw that there was nothing like against the terms of service and then they put it back up, which yeah. it's still kind of like, it still kind of screwed me because before the video got taken down, it was getting in the range of like five to 7,000 views per hour. Yeah. And you then, lost a lot of momentum. Yeah, all the momentum was pretty much gone because it was it was down for maybe like three or four days, and then once it came back up, like I think now it's getting like maybe like a hundred views per hour or something like that. Yeah, yeah. YouTube is a weird platform in general. I get videos flagged all the time. Like some people claim my videos where I'm the only thing on screen and I'm the only thing audio. Like I, I, I how I shot it with my camera, my equipment. How can that possibly be owned by anybody else? And people, I think the system in general is kind of flawed with everything, all the stuff behind the scenes in YouTube. Um, I guess maybe my last question, like looking back on this, how, how do you feel now? Uh, is there anything you change? Like, it just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't want to like condone necessarily what you did, but also I think it's a, a really funny story. You and I go way back. Um, I, I just was, I was like, man, this Trevor, what the heck? And I sent it to Wally. Me and Wally were <laughs> laughing about it. Um, how do you yeah, feel? Wally actually reached out to me <laughs> and he, and he was saying that he could potentially like get me a meeting with like Kirk Wakeup. Mm. To kind of like relay a message to the Warriors because he's friends with Kirkwood. Yeah, he's friends with like their Joe, owner. Or Joe right? Yeah, yeah. And but uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like like nobody was hurt with yeah. what I did. Like I had no malicious like intent behind anything that I did. Yeah. Like, and the Warriors didn't lose any money because they sold that season ticket to the guy who ever bought it, mm. and he just decided to never come. Mm. And uh, so the Warriors got their money for the seat. So it's not like I stole money from the Warriors. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. They're my favorite like organization ever. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
and the guy didn't lose money because he had it up for sale on Ticketmaster, and it just didn't sell. So, I mean, I guess he lost money in that regard, but, like, it's not like... You like, weren't taking I money sold. from him. It just didn't sell. It wasn't... Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of, like, the reason why it didn't sell, I know the reason why it didn't sell every time. So he, he every single game he had, or whoever it was, I don't know, he or she, but they had that season ticket price, like, way above like what all the other ones mm. were. So like it would just never settle because like the, the, the average ticket price for a uh, court side during the, the regular season, it was probably between like one to $2,000 a game. And then he would have his on, or they would have theirs on sale for like three or 4,000. Mm. So that's the reason why it would never sell. And yeah. I kind of knew that going to the game. So like it was kind of easier to know like, Oh yeah, I might be able to get court side this game. Mm. Cause like, I know like no one's going to buy a $4,000 ticket when they could buy it for 1500. Yeah. Again, man, I've tried to say pretty clear. I just think what you did is clever. I thought it was very, I just, first of all, I was really surprised it was you. I thought it was super funny. Uh, what is your YouTube channel name? <laughs> Plug yourself a little bit. I, uh, I, I appreciate you coming yeah. on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's just my, my name, Trevor Lobb. Uh, that's my YouTube channel. And I don't only make like these sneaking in videos. Like I have another sneaking in video where mm. I snuck into VidCon on my YouTube mm-hmm. channel. And VidCon is, it's like a, uh, convention for like youtubers and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. that happens in anaheim every year i was able to sneak into that i, I did that like two years ago but uh that, that was with no like photoshop or anything i just like walked in that's, that's pretty much the thing is you just have to be confident like wherever you walk yeah. in and like a lot of times like people won't even like question you because with the warriors thing actually like most of the time i didn't have to use a ticket after like the third or fourth game like i would just walk confidently and the people like recognized me, so they, they didn't check my ticket mm. or anything. They were just like, "Oh, like, hey, like, how you doing? Like, nice to see you again." And then like, they would know where I'm going to sit, so they wouldn't even check anything. So, that's, so I really like you just have to be confident when you go places, and you might be able to finesse your way in somewhere. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, back to the YouTube thing. I make like a bunch of different content uh, style of videos. I make like comedy skits, uh, vlogs, like short films pretty much like anything that has to do with filmmaking like because i'm a filmmaker so that's kind of like my my lane mm. cool man well hey uh, thank you so much if you have nothing do you have anything else anything to add uh hopefully if the warriors are watching this just know that uh i didn't have any malicious intent and i love the warriors steph curry's like mm. like he's up there in like my list of like people of all time just in general of the world <laughs> and uh <laughs> uh joe lake i'm a fan and uh I love what you do with the franchise, so hopefully you don't come after me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, well, Trevor, thank you so much. I wish you the very best. I hope you don't get banned for life or anything. I know you, I've been around you enough to know you love your team a lot. And, uh, it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the main thing is, like, I just don't want to go to jail or anything, which I don't think <laughs> would happen. Like, yeah. if I had to, like, plead my case to, like, Joe Lacob, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would understand, like, where I was coming from. Like, as long as I wasn't doing anything, like, malicious, I feel like, I feel like they would understand, but, like, it would suck to get banned for life, but, like, that's the whole reason I did it was because, like, even if I did get banned for life, like, it wouldn't really affect me too much since I live in L.A. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. I wish you the best, and hope you have a great day. All right, cool, bro. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Talk soon. Bye. All right, peace. I mean, there you have it, guys. I don't I don't know how to feel. Like, I really don't. I'm conflicted because, like, I, I don't want to condone um, lying or sneak. I, I I like ah, it's a good story. Like it's ah, and, and and I I don't know. Um, I think I'll leave it up to you guys. How do you guys feel about it? Um, to me, I look at Trevor and as a guy who spent like a hundred bucks and got 
courtside tickets to 30 games in the Warriors regular season. That's pretty incredible. And so you can hate him if you want. You can you can call him a hero if you want. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to condone either side, but I, I do want to say that you got to admit it's a clever thing. And when he looks back on his life, when he's like 50 and he's talking to his kids or his grandkids or his, his nephews and nieces, you know, he's going to have a good story. So um, there you go, guys. You decide. I don't want to be the one to decide whether that's what he did is right or wrong. Um, but he's, he's a good guy. I've been around him a lot in the past. We used to work together on set. Um, he's not a, a bad human. And that's, you know, even if you, what you, you hate what he did, um, I think you should know he's not a terrible guy. And so, um, yeah, fun interview, interesting story. And uh, you decide whether you think it was right or wrong. Guys, that's all I have. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Strong Opinion Sports. Um, I have hopefully two more episodes. That's my plan is to do two more episodes before I leave for uh, football on August 20th. Um, I want to do an NFL predictions podcast. That's non-negotiable. I'm doing that. And I have a bunch of work already done for a Sam Darnold, Jake Fromm, and Easton Stick film analysis. I also want to throw in a Josh Allen film analysis. But I want to get a couple film analysis of those quarterbacks before I do my predictions. Because, like, how can I judge the Jets until I know how good Sam Darnold is and Josh Allen is? And I'm, I'm just really curious. I also want to do a Jake Fromm one because I'm just excited about that. So thanks for listening. There's good stuff ahead. I just want to say thank you again so very much for tuning in to Strong Opinion Sports. I really, really appreciate it. Have a great day and uh, talk soon. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And you may not know, um, my dream when I graduate college eventually is to do this show as my full-time job. Uh, now, I also want to be very upfront and honest about my plan and what's going on. I recently monetized my YouTube channel. What that means is that some of my videos make money through ad revenue. Uh, now, it's fewer than you think. A lot of my videos get claimed. Um, but in the past, I've received donations through the form of PayPal and Patreon.com. PayPal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. So because I'm making ad revenue, it felt weird to just get donations. I wanted to give something back to the people who support me on Patreon. So now there's a reward. If you support me on Patreon, you can submit questions at the, at the dollar level or above. You just need to give a dollar a month. If you do that, you can submit questions to a pool of questions where I look at. I read all the questions on Patreon. And I pick the top couple every episode and read them and answer them on a, a segment called Ask Zach. Pick the top couple questions um, and answer them at the end of every single episode. Now, that's for people who want to support me with money. If you have no money to give, I totally understand. I've actually never supported anybody on Patreon. I feel kind of weird about that. I'm a broke college kid myself. I totally understand. Um, but if you believe in me and you, if you believe in my dream and still want to help me, one thing you can do is help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share it on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Guys, thank you so much. I know that was a long spiel. I really appreciate it, and uh, hope you have a great day. Bye.